This is Jocko Podcast number 123 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Now, this podcast is the third in a series of podcasts that I've done. And if you haven't listened to podcasts number 121 and 122, then go back and listen to those episodes before you listen to this one. The first of those podcasts, number 121, tells the story of Chesty Puller, the iconic and heroic Marine Corps legend that fought in five wars, was awarded five Navy crosses, the most of any serviceman ever. He retired as a three-star general after rising through the ranks from private podcast 122 tells a much different story it tells the story of Chesty Puller's son Lewis Puller Jr. who also joined the Marine Corps who fought in Vietnam who was horrifically wounded and continued to fight against pain and against loss and against depression and addiction when he returned home from war. And in the end, he lost that battle. After falling back into the downward spiral of alcohol and prescription painkillers, he became another statistic of the most dreadful kind. He turned the gun on himself and took his own life. And as I said at the beginning of this series, I was seriously questioning whether or not I could do this podcast. If I had the wherewithal to gut through the pain of that story and more important if it was the right thing to do if it was the right thing to bring this story to light because clearly the story does not have a happy ending and I wondered if there was any good at all to be found in it but I also know that darkness left unchecked and ignored is darkness that grows and if we do not learn from the past then we know we are condemned to repeat it there was one more compelling thing that allowed me to go forward in producing this series of podcasts about a year ago I think I was in Texas and I was speaking at the Chris Kyle Memorial Benefit and I met someone there. He was a Marine. His uncle was a Marine. His grandfather was a Marine. And he had been severely wounded in Iraq. And as I learned more about him, I came to understand the hell he had been through was much more than just physical. Like many veterans, the psychological wounds were also severe. But he had fought against the pain, fought against the loss, fought the fight 
that so many other veterans fight and he had come out the other side stronger and better and had dedicated his life to helping other veterans win that fight. His name is Jacob Schick and it is an honor to have him on the podcast with us here tonight. Jake, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, bro. Thanks for coming on, man. You bet. <clears throat> I'm here to help. Well, I know you help a lot of people, and I want to hopefully get you out there reaching even more people. Let's do you it. Know, you, 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 when, you, when I first met you, I was just talking to you. I don't know. I probably spent a couple hours at some random bar in a hotel somewhere in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah over there in the stockyards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was like, man. And I told you then, I said, you got to come get on my podcast. But when I was, like I said, when I was doing, when I was reading these books, I was saying to myself, I, I got to have, I got to show the other side, man. I got to show that, that you can get out of this and you can get through it. And there's no better example of that than, than you and, and the fight that you've been through. So let's get into it, man. Let's start, let's start at let's the go. beginning. Let's start with young <clears throat> Jake. Oh, Lord, dude. I blocked out most of my childhood. What are we talking about? Louisiana, Bossier City. Is that how you say it? Back in the day. But now that was, that was That was until you were, what, 12? Yeah. 8, 10? Yeah, it was Bossier City. Bossier City. Yeah, All but right. you could, depending on what part of Louisiana you're from, pronounce it like that. <laughs> the other way? Yeah. The wrong way? No, they're both right, and <laughs> both sides of Louisiana will, will tell you that, too. Nice. Yeah. But, yeah, I went to Texas when I was yeah, about 12. And um, moved in with my mom, so I went from like a structured, disciplined home <laughs> to the antithesis of that, which caught up to me pretty quick. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, yeah. And so, what do you now? Your grandfather was Marine was in the Marine Corps. Yeah, grandfather uh, served World War Two, uh, fought on Iwo, and and survived, Dang. and was um, you know obviously the the driving factor of my interest of being a Marine and because I was really close to my grandmother growing up mm-hmm. and my grandfather passed away fairly young in his fifties. And, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about how he passed away and, um, you know, but, but we'll never know. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> so, but my grandmother would talk about my grandfather and her chest was just swell with pride. You know, I was the baby of the family. And so, when I would see that, I, I just thought to myself, well, when she talks about me, I want her to do that same thing. So it looks like I need to be a Marine for that to happen. Because every time she would talk about him, yeah. something from his time in the service in the Marines would be very close to that sentence. And I knew uh, I want whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, I, and at eight years old, I, I made my mind up that I'm – I'm getting that, no matter what it takes. I'm going to get that. I mean, I, the, the only alternative was death. That was the only thing that was going to stop me from getting it. And, uh, you know, my, and my, and my uncle <clears throat> served in uh, Nam and was a second-generation Marine who's still very much alive. And uh, it, he's, you know, pretty – he's pretty salty <laughs> – and it was funny, man, because before I went to boot, I, I talked to him. I said, Uncle Jack, you know, I'm about to go. What do I need to know? And this is all he said. He said, be loud, be fast, and don't volunteer for anything. 
<laughs> that was it. <laughs> so I'm on the phone and like waiting for the follow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, what? what that's it. He loud, be fast, don't volunteer or anything. I gotta go. I hung up. <laughs> and you know what's funny, man, is he's right. That's really, you know how many young dudes I've told that to? They're like, hey, what do I need to know? I bet you I've said that three dozen times. <laughs> to, in front of parents. This is almost yeah. the complete opposite of what, what the Master Chief of SEAL Team 1 told me when I got there. And he said, keep your, keep your mouth shut, keep your ears open, don't forget anything, and don't be late. That's what he told me. <laughs> and and you've I volunteered for everything. I was dumb but fired up i was a fired up kid yeah well not a lot of, not lots changed <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's actually interesting because in the in the in polar jr's book he's talking about us as they're in they're in the basic school and they're getting ready to select for what they want to do and they start getting graffiti on the desks and people are like uh Motor T and out in three <laughs> who gives a fuck drive a truck and they're just being they're like N- not all of them. A lot of them started looking at the war and going, "Hey, man, you know what? I don't want none of that." And very few of them were saying, "Hey, I want to be an infantry platoon commander." And that's what a lot of them got, whether they wanted it or not. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And I mean, a lot of them got war, whether they wanted it or not. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, well, like I was just telling you, he was, he was, OCS, the basic school, twenty days leave in Vietnam as a platoon commander. Welcome to the Corps. Yeah. yeah just when you think. The green when he can't get any harder, you know it. It can. <laughs> there, there's no limit. I mean, it's just true. It's like uh, with man with me, it was never. I never questioned. You know, I became a, a decent football player when I got to Texas, which is basically how I graduated high school. <laughs> <clears throat> Not basically. That's how I graduated high school. Straight up. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was lucky enough to be selected as a captain my senior year, and, and you know, I played for a 5A Texas football team, oh, okay. which was it's the real deal in Texas, yeah. man. And it's, um, Isn't that just, just under the NFL <laughs> like in terms of intensity? <laughs> you know how many times level? our team would get together and we'd be like, we would like list out all the college teams we were totally sure we could beat. Yeah, yeah. Just young and stupid, man. <laughs> but I mean, and it's just it's crazy because you see the the athleticism difference between, especially when you go to your big schools and the and the NFL. It's the speed. Oh, it's crazy. And the strength. It, I mean, all of it. The agility. It's night and day. Yeah. It's night and day, and it just goes to show you these young kids. You don't know shit. You think you know a lot. You don't know shit. <laughs> I mean, I was that way. And yeah. I, up, I mean, well, really, I still don't know shit. <laughs> and I'll be 36 this month. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, anyone who comes up to me and they're like, hey, I got it figured oh, out. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I say? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You no longer need to be in my circle because I'll never learn anything from yeah. you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I know I'm going to die a student of life, but man. I was I loved football. That was that's what I thought high school was for, you know. <laughs> and so, it it was the old cliche thing. It was semi small city. Um, Where in Texas were you? Coppell, Coppell, C O P P E L L, go Cowboys. And uh, you know, had it not been for the for like my counselor and the principal and all those people, like I wouldn't graduated. Because I was pretty spent from the the political crap uh, by the time you know my senior year rolled around, and I just didn't know if I wanted it. I didn't know if I wanted to deal with it anymore. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. know if I wanted to to 
play the game Mm -hmm. that comes with playing the game. And it just got to where it was like, you know, this is, it's kind of bullshit. Because it's like growing up, right, in small town Louisiana, where you go to church every Wednesday, every Sunday morning, and you put on your Sunday best, and you go to church, and you act a certain way, or you're out in public, and you act a certain way. You know, because you get home and the doors close, that's all bullshit. <laughs> I mean, and we're being conditioned yeah. as little kids, like, hey, just just fake it till you make it. And you know, I, <clears throat> I I'm all right saying that now. So you got so when you were in high school, you kind of got tired of playing the game. You were just thinking. Now, now, didn't you join the Marine Corps? Yeah, beginning of my senior year, because yeah, I was already 18. I didn't oh, tell anybody, because I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and that went over famously with my dad. Because <laughs> my dad thought I was going to go play ball at a small school. Uh-huh. Because, I, because I missed more days my senior year than I actually went to. Dang. Well, because when football season was over, I was like, sweet, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm like, I don't need to do this school shit anymore. Yeah. It's overrated. <laughs> But I knew it was not, you know, I mean, then they... Now, were you thinking, did you join, were you planning to go active duty or were you in the reserves? No, so I'd signed up and my recruiter, who I'll never forget, was was a, he was legit, man. You hear a lot of like horror stories about recruiters. I literally literally have a question in here. It's like, how was your recruiter? Because so many people have good recruiter stories one way or the other. They either screwed them or totally took care of them. So my recruiter, first of all, he got me out of a lot of stuff where I was like, dude, where nowadays there's no way. It yeah. just wouldn't fly. Yeah. And I was like, how the hell did you do? He's like, don't worry about it. You just better be at Maps when I tell you to be at Maps. I'm like, bro, you can drive me if you want. But he, uh, he had, just, so they, you know, most recruiting stations are like inside a shopping center or whatever. So they were right next to like a big grocery store chain and, uh. One day, some some dude goes and steals some stuff, and and uh, he chases him down and like whips his ass in the parking lot. <laughs> so he was a firefighter in the corps, right? Oh, right so, on. and I volunteered for infantry. I was like, I'm gonna be on a yeah. big grunt. He yeah. tried talking me out of it for months. Yeah, he's like, Jake, yeah. Jake, you really don't want to do that. <laughs> I was like, No, that's what I want to do. Yeah, and. Uh, but he chased the dude down, and I was like, see, that was, for me, that was affirmation from God that I'm doing the right thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? These because, are my people. Yeah, that's, yeah. This is where I'm supposed to be, you know? But it was, man, I, I um, my second, I think it was the second week of football season, and uh, I jacked up my right knee, my MCL, my right knee, and and uh, when I went and signed the paperwork, I was on crutches and in, in a brace. And I I opened the door and like hobble in, and he goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm just here to sign up." And he goes, "Not like that, you're not." And I said, "Give me two weeks. We're playing whoever we're playing." I said, "I'll be on the field. Give me two weeks." And he was like, "There's no way." I said, "Okay, be here in two weeks." And he showed up, and I played. It hurt like hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I played through it, lied to my trainers, lied to yep. the coaches. I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, just the young, dumb, like, you know, power before IQ, right? Mm-hmm. Just power through. <laughs> yeah. If you can just power through, you don't really need the IQ. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what. If you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. <laughs> that's it. That's it, man. And there's a lot of truth to that, which we can all attest to that, yeah. Yeah, right? No Every doubt. person. I don't care. I don't care if you have a pecker or not. You can attest to that. <laughs> if you're going to be stupid, 
Ooh, you better be tough. Gotta be tough for sure. And so we, but I, I ended up playing and uh, I signed up. I didn't tell anybody, and then it was actually uh, I graduated by the grace of God and because of high school football in Texas, and it was uh, it was amazing, man, because my dad actually met my recruiter at the high school graduation. And he was in his dress blues, which is, you know, the best uniform there is. Mm-hmm. No one can argue. And and if you do, <laughs> you're just stupid. <laughs> yeah, but he, he walks up, and I said, hey, Dad, you know, I'd like you to meet my, my recruiter. And he looked at me, and my recruiter held his hand out to shake his <laughs> hand. And my dad looked at me, and he said. And your dad, did, was this your dad finding out? Yeah. Oh, dang. And he said, why would you do that? <laughs> And then he looks at my career, looks back at me, like waiting for me to answer. I said, I, Dad, I would shake his hand. You're, you're a banker. I, I would shake his hand. Pretty sure he could take you. <laughs> and uh, he he was pissed, man. He was pissed because he's – and I didn't understand why at the time, really. Mm. You know, but later and on this – is, This is 2000, right? This is pre-2011. Yeah, 2001, actually. That was my graduation. So this is May May or June 2001. Okay, so yeah, this is pre-9-11. Pre-9-11. I'm already yeah. signed up. I'm in. I'm going. And he... Uh, so your dad's thoughts were more around like, hey, you should go to college. You should get a job. Yep. You know, I'm a banker. It's a good life. That yep. type of thing. You don't need to go and do this other stuff. Exactly. Okay. And so and so my thing was... Because there's no war going on, you know, at that no, time. No, right. So. Yeah, no. I mean, it was it was quote-unquote peacetime, yep. and, uh, which we all know there's no such thing, but whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever rainbows and roses and lollipops people want to have in their safety bubble. But we, you know, we... I knew that that was, that's what I was destined to do. I knew it. Like, I felt it as much as I know that, like, my leg's never going to grow back. Like, I knew that much that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I was hell-bent on it. Yeah. Hell-bent. And so when my dad was pissed, I was I questioned it because maybe I didn't tell him or I kept it from him and, and a myriad of things, right? I mean, it's never just one thing. Anything is never just one thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I love people. Like, well, I know what the problem is. I'm like, well, <laughs> what do you want to bet there's more than one? Because it's it's just the way it is. But he – I didn't realize and I didn't think about, you know, at the time I'm I'm 19 at this point, And I didn't think about – he had seen what war does to not only a person but someone that is his blood, his flesh and blood. He's seen the after effects. You know, he was, so he saw his, was his dad an Ewo? Was that his yeah, dad or was that, that your was, mom's dad? That okay. was my dad's dad. And your and his brother? His older brother. Yeah. Okay. And so he had seen the after effects and seen, you know, my grandfather was a hard man. And um you know, the way that it, he was a man when it was okay to be a man and you wouldn't get judged for being a man. Whereas now that's a lot. I mean, don't act like you don't know what the hell I'm talking about either. <laughs> because now it's like, but you can use either bathroom. That's okay. Oh. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. I mean, I, it's. I, yeah, I, I'm looking at you with a blank stare because I'm like detached from all that, like mm. all that political. I don't even. It's weird, man. My life is weird that I don't. I just kind of evolve in, or revolve in my own little world. So when I when I hear like. When I do, when that kind of stuff enters my world, I'm just kind of like, is that really happening? Yeah, and it yeah, doesn't yeah. really compute, and I move on. I don't know. I don't. Well, see, but when you, but when you're in my world, it's almost 
you have to know. It's I mean, unfortunately, with what we're trying to do, yeah, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's a big ass mountain we're trying to move, yeah. man. Yeah. And it's, but anyway, I I go to I go to boot, and um, actually, nine eleven happens. Yeah, I'm in my room the night before, and the whole thing behind the reserves was. So I thought about it, and I was like, okay. So what? You graduate in May of two thousand and one. Yep. You you screw around for the summer. Yeah. Being a Texas kid that graduated from high school that's going to the Marine Corps. Oh, yeah. I bet that was a real uh, PG-rated situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> then, then September 11th, happened. when's your boot camp? When are you leaving for boot camp? Boot camp I leave for boot camp the month after 9-11. Check. So it's on. Yeah. And so it was um, 9-11 happens. And so the way I looked at it was like, okay, you know what? My, my grandfather was Corporal Schick. My uncle was Corporal Schick. I'm going to raise the bar for whoever the fourth generation is. I mean, because that's what we're supposed to do, right, for those that come after us. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to join the reserves, still infantry. I'm always going to stay infantry. I wanted to be a career infantryman. And then um, I'll pick up E5. By that time, I'll already have my degree, and then I'll get I'll, I'll get my commission. Then I'll be a Mustang. So whoever the fourth generation is, like the, the bar set, bro. Jack. Like that, so that was my mindset, right? Obviously, Johnny Giad had different plans, <laughs> but we, but nine eleven happens, yeah. and man, it was. I mean, it became very real very quick. Yep. That oh, okay, well, this is. I mean, I was gung ho about it. Yeah. But my and my buddy, we wake up and uh, my my mother walks in my room and like opens the door and beer cans like get pushed everywhere. <laughs> so first she's like, "What the hell is?" The-? And then she's like, turn on the TV, we're under attack. Mm-hmm. And I turned on the TV. I looked at my buddy, and we went to the, we did the buddy system in the core. And um, I looked at him, and I was like, bro, we're going to war. Check. I mean, it was when it, you know, for a 19-year-old kid, you have that sense of, you know, let's rock and roll. But then the smart, little, little <laughs> smart person that lives in the back of your head was like, this may suck. <laughs> like this may suck bad. Yeah. But um it didn't obviously didn't deter my uh my motivation in doing that. And so we yeah man I left a month after 9/11 which was you know I was right down the street from here. MCRD San Diego. Man and it, let me tell you something. As if Marine Corps drill instructors need any more motivation to be Marine Corps drill instructors. Oh yeah. They had it. September 11th they were ready to get some. They had it. It was gnarly. But no matter from the time that we landed and the time that we got on the bus, which this is something that always cracked me up, because you land, you can see the depot Mm -hmm. from the runway. But for whatever reason, the bus ride takes like an hour and a half. (laughs) You know? Oh, yeah. That's welcome to the military in general. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't take long for me to completely understand why that is the way it is. And so it was – but from the time – the first time I stood on the yellow footprints, up till now, up to this point right now today, I wouldn't question – I don't question any of it. I don't. I wouldn't take any of it back. I wouldn't trade any of it. I'm, I have no doubt that everything has happened exactly the way it's supposed to happen. I don't believe in coincidences, and I, I wouldn't take anything back. I mean, just because something that I've learned at the ripe old age of soon to be thirty six is that you can't have triumph without 
trials of tribulation and tragedy. Those are kissing cousins. You know, you can't have one without the other. And where you go with it is up to you. And, uh, you know, my life was one hell of a roller coaster ride, and it started the first time I stood on those yellow footprints. <laughs> and, I mean, and it started way before that, man. It started, you know, I, I definitely had trauma before the trauma. I think I think majority of us do because we live in a very spoiled first world society, and we forget that we're mere mortals. There's nothing special about us. We're all the same. We are all just living, breathing sacks of skin. Jack, you know that's it. And so I when I I started Boot, it was. It was one of those deals where the <clears throat> the mindset started of and I already had some leadership skills thanks to football and team sports yeah. and I had I learned that growing up and then in high school I really got to hone those those leadership skills which really helped me in boot. I mean I really believe in team athletics because it's it's like everything. No matter what you're dealing with, the greater good is always gonna be bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Always. And you have to hang on to that humility and that I'm just a, I'm just a dude, I'm just a dude, being a dude, I'm just a dude playing a dude, trying to be another dude. But you know what I'm you know what I mean. It's you you, you realize often if you're really trying to do something that's worth doing, you're reminded often how human you are. Yeah. yeah, and and you know I used to tell my guys if you're doing something for the right reasons, you're going to win in the end. Like, and, and that means if you're doing something that's going to help the team yep. win. You're going to win in the end. You're going to get what you want. The things are going to go the way you want. If you're doing something for your selfish reasons or for the wrong reasons, you're going to lose in the end. Now, you might, both those, the, the person that's doing it for the right reasons might lose some battles along the way. Mm-hmm. The person that's doing it for the wrong reasons might win some battles along the way. But the end game, person, if you're doing the right things for the right reasons, if you're looking out for the team, if you're doing it for the good of the team, you're going to win. And if you're doing the opposite, eventually you're going to lose. That's the way it works. That's it. Yeah. You're 100% right. I mean, and you know what? The history books, they'll get yeah, it right. They, they, they do. It they'll flushes it right. out every time. They'll sometimes get it, it right. takes. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes 10 years. It takes decades. But the people that are doing the right things for the right reasons, they win. Yeah, and it's like, it's like I, I tell guys all the time, which I still, the, the humanality in me still has to, I have to remind, every time I talk to a guy, when I say guy, I mean man or woman, doesn't matter. But every time I talk to them, I usually start the conversation out with, no matter what comes under out of this hole underneath my nose, I need you to know I'm talking to myself too. Every time. Yeah, check. And I say, it's, I say you know, it's, it's none of our business what the hell other people think of us. It is none of my business what anyone else thinks of me. It should have very little impact on any decision I make every day, all day. None. It should, it matter, it should yeah. have no impact. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's an interesting dichotomy in that. And I've talked about that on this podcast before, because for me, right, I'm a guy that, on the one hand, I, I exact same thing. Like I don't care what people think. At the at the other end of the spectrum, I absolutely care what I, what everyone thinks. And you, I'll draw you into this. When you were doing something, I mean, when I was doing something in the SEAL teams, I'd be thinking. Always like, hey, is this the right thing? What, what's this going to do to my reputation? What am I, God, what is what is you know my buddy going to think of me if I cut the corner here? If I don't do the right thing, so my reputation, the way I was looked at, I did feel that pressure all the time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if someone was like, oh, I don't like your f- 
clothes or whatever. I don't care at all. But things that I cared about and from people that I cared about and respected, I always had the attitude that like, yeah, you know what? I, I do care what they think. I do care what my, you know, I'll tell you what, man, one of the hardest things I had to do when I, when I wrote a book and like, here you are, you're going to write a book, you know, you're going to write a book about yourself. It's, it's, it's a arrogant, conceited thing to do no matter what you say in the book. It doesn't matter. It's, you're writing a book about, <clears throat> about you and, and, you know, Leif who wrote the book with me, same thing. The primary concern for me was like, what are my bros in the teams going to think of me, right? So that's hard. Yeah, and, but it, there's so there's a balance between those two you're things. You're right. Let me let me simplify it. The people that you're never going to meet. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'll Barney style it for you. Yeah, Those, sometimes you need to dumb the things down for this guy over here. <laughs> everyone at this table. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah. You, you, it, the people you're never going to meet they will have little to no impact on your life and, and your well-being henceforth. It doesn't matter. They think they matter, and that's okay. Let them think what they want to think. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, that's 100% right. For sure. Because it's real easy, especially in the line of work that we do. That, that we do day to day at 22 kill that it's real easy for people to sit on their self-loathing asses behind their computer screen and pass judgment mm-hmm. when we continue to grind onward in the face of tremendous loss there's something to be said for that yeah yeah i mean that's that 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 right there is a test of will and character all its own in the face of tremendous loss to say Okay, we have to step back. We have to reassess. We'll readdress and we'll reengage. Let's adjust our left and right level limits. But, but there's still ground to take and demons to slay. We have to move forward and burn our pain as fuel because that's what we do. Because if not us, who? And so that all that started when I was standing on those yellow footprints because you had this. And it's something that you'll agree, people that know their stuff about the military agrees with. One thing that can be said about the Marine Corps, no other branch, regardless of division, adheres to tradition as much as the Marines. I mean, you, you asked me about, about Chesty, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, we told him goodnight every night for yeah. three months. So the Marine Corps is absolutely, absolutely correct. Yeah, the Marine Corps does not play around when it comes to tradition. And I think that there's a... The proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, since 1775, we've shown that we adhere to that. That's what makes us who we are. And that's why it's. I think that we have the success rate that we have, regardless of being the bastard children of the military, you know, not really knowing who our dad is and being poor. It We make it work. We, we have, since day one, been able to to really define what improvise, adapt, and overcome means. We've been able to live that and prove situations where outside looking in, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's a total loss and come out with a W, come out with a victory because of that very tradition that makes us who we are. Because when all else fails, all you have is your gut. All yeah. you- now, when you were going through boot camp, though, there was, was there – 
any combat veterans there? I don't think we had one. Yeah. Even the, 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 that's, a, that's a testament to what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. even though no one's been in combat in, well, there probably been a few guys that went to the Gulf War, maybe there's a couple guys that went to Somalia, maybe a couple guys that went to Grenada or something, or, or Panama maybe. Yeah, but, yeah. But those are like onesies and twosies. You're right. And there's a chance that, like, none of your DIs had any combat experience. No, it's a great point, yeah. man. And yet... The lessons get passed on. You know, I had old old Vietnam SEAL on here, and he was talking about when he came back from Vietnam and he instituted this certain type of training at out in the desert. And I was like, I went through that training. And he's like, yeah, well, I put that together. Like the same, it's a point man course where they put booby traps and they put targets to shoot at and all yeah. this stuff. I was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, I made that up. And I was like, oh, we still do it. We still do it. And so that tradition in the Marine Corps is like 200 years yeah. Of things being passed down. Right. Solid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's something that, I mean, listen, it, even now it makes me swell with pride, you know? Like, I understand why my grandmother reacted the way she did truly now. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've been able to live that. I've been blessed enough to, to live this journey that, I mean, yeah, it comes with a lot of pain and a lot of uh, hard lessons. You know, I mean, pain's inevitable. Suffering's optional. It's something I've learned too. You know, I mean, it's no one's going to be harder on you than you. Every day you wake up, you should just be thinking to yourself, "All right, today it's me versus me." Yeah. You know, and no one wakes up and goes, "I'm going to go out of my way to be average today." <laughs> <laughs> like if you wake up and do that, you need to have a gut check. <laughs> so, so you get you get done with boot camp and then you go to Pendleton for for. Infantry training? Yeah, SOI went up to uh, Pendleton, and, um, you know, which was fun, man. You know what sucks is in boot, I was um, I was first squad squad leader up until, like, a, a week before graduation. I think it was just because the senior drill instructor didn't like me. Uh, I didn't like him either, though, so it was mutual. But um, And there's one DI I had that I swear if I saw him on the street today, like, I'd go fight him right now. <laughs> I'm not kidding at all. There was one dude that... Like, I had PTS from that guy because <laughs> he was going out of his way to try and mentally break me, and it just never happened. Uh-huh. And uh, he what do you what do you think? It. What do you why was that? I think it was just it became this personal thing to him because he saw how other recruits would gravitate. So he might have been like jealous of your I doubt of your it. natural I, leadership. I don't doubt it at all. I don't. Yeah. I mean, because he was ugly. He was not handsome like yourself. Yeah. No, yeah, and I obviously, you. I mean, <laughs> money maker, bro. <laughs> you know, but he he was. Uh, but he was. You could tell though, underneath it all, like he was. He was a great marine. Yeah, yeah. And um, he he, yeah, we lied a lot for that guy and a few other DIs, but. You know, it was just, I was thankful for our boot camp with the last name like Schick. Mm. You know what our guide's last name was? Schmitter. Mm. That's nice. So for three months, hey, Shitter, go get your brother shit. (laughs) Three months, man. The only time I ever got emotional in boot camp was on the parade deck on graduation day when uh, Hammers, one of the DIs we had, he looked at me and he he said, I got to tell you, Schick. And the, I heard the, and like I got emotional, like dude, I got my name back, I earned it back. But um, he told me what he told me, and then my dad was there actually, and and 
walks by me on the parade deck and tosses me a can of Copenhagen long cut. Didn't even look at me, and he said, good job, let's go eat. And, like, keeps walking. So I was like, okay, he's still pissed. I get it. Dang. Yeah. Cold-blooded. Yeah, dude. But it was, <laughs> you know, and like I said, there, there for years, I didn't get it. Yeah. And then, you know, go up to SOI, to Pendleton, and um, I loved every minute of that, too. Here's what made it awesome for me, and this is something that a lot of the listeners will relate to is that no matter how gnarly it got in boot or how gnarly it got in SOI or how tired or hungry or just beat down you were mentally, physically, emotionally, there were, all you had to do was look to your left or right because mm-hmm. guess what? So are they. Yeah. yeah. But you go to fall down, they're right there to pick you up yeah. no matter how tired you are. Who doesn't want that? Yeah, no. It's, you can't buy it. You can't buy. You have to pay for that with sweat, blood, and tears. Period. Mm-hmm. And I learned also early on, you're going to find your great le- leaders by following the blood trail, literally and figuratively. It's not hard to find. Take off your first war blinders. You'll find them. Follow the blood trail. You'll find them. And I knew the ones that were, and I knew the ones that weren't. Mm-hmm. And now, so does everyone else. Comes out in the wash, right? But we, you know, SOI was awesome. I mean, I remember the first the first weekend that we had Libo. <laughs> What's the first thing you think that they tell us, young stupid Marines, in in uh, at SOI at Pendleton? Oh, you're getting your first liberty. The one place not to go. TJ. The one place. <laughs> I mean, where do you think, like, a van full of us go? Yeah, yeah. Did you take a Marine Corps van? No, oh, but we should have. That would have been impressive. We should have. <laughs> I can't, I still, to this day, you know, we left Friday evening. I, to this day, I can't believe they let me back in the United States. Like, I was, I was throwed hard. <laughs> and uh, at the time, my brother, I don't know if it was his girlfriend at the time, or maybe it was his ex, but she was, for some reason, here in uh in Southern Cal, and she was like, hey, come you know, see me. And I saw her somewhere by the border or whatever. I'm sure I smelled amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the look on her face was like, how are you breathing right now? Because, you know, my idea was when they said turn two on liberty. Oh, yeah. Like, that's exactly <clears throat> – I was, I was seeking liberty. Yeah. No matter – and yeah. I wanted to find what yeah. liberty looked like. I've told this story before. I was We pulled into port one time. I was on a ship. I was in a SEAL platoon. We pulled into port. And what we used to do, there's be a line to get off the ship, like checking Liberty cars. Right. So when the when the ship pulled into port, we'd work out. That'd take an hour. Then we'd take a shower, and then the line would be gone. We'd go out. So we do that. We're we've been in port for like an hour and fifteen minutes. We go up to leave, and they're carrying a marine back on the <laughs> ship. He's completely covered in puke, passed out, drunk. He did that in like forty eight minutes, bro. That's impressive. Dude. That's getting after it. Chesty would have loved that yeah. song, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, how do you not respect that? Yeah, no. Because back in the day, I would have been like, I want to hang out with that dude. <laughs> but, yeah. but it's, I mean, that's just what, you know, it's just what we do. That's, the, that's what that is. What that is, is an 18-year-old human being that's been in boot camp, SOI, hasn't, hasn't let loose at all. And has become a man, by the way, or at least 
has been told in some way in that he's head. become a man in, yeah, his, in head. his head, and that's where still, that's, still that's has the, boot, the bootstripe. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, bro, you're not fooling anybody. Yeah, yeah. I get it though. <clears throat> I get it, man, because it's you get there and it's like, okay, did boot, did that? That was, you know, way more mental than physical. Mm-hmm. And it's they're good at what they do. Yeah, for sure, they're good at what they do. I remember my grandmother telling me, just remember, they have a job to do. They're doing their job. Not one thing you go through is going to be personal. She was wrong, however, with that one DI. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma was wrong on that guy. Yeah, this is the same one, and she's she was a hard woman, man. She was um, you know, she was one of those. She used to always say, "I suffer from what comes up comes out syndrome," because there was no filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I love that about her because it was it was true. Like if she yeah. didn't like you, you knew. Yeah. You know, and she would always say, as far as I'm concerned, I have one grandbaby talking about me right in front of my siblings. Dang. Her giving F tank was bone dry. Dang. Give none. <laughs> this is the same woman the first time she sees me in the hospital and I'm all banged up. And she says, well, baby, I guess God didn't want you and the devil won't have you. <laughs> and I was Dang. like, you know what? I'll take it, Mimi. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I had an old World War II Marine. I was flying to Vegas for some event or something maybe i was i had to speak at or whatever and he said just remember young man bad breath better than no breath (laughs) (laughs) i said roger that sir right on but um man it was you know boot was was one of those things where you're part of the club but not like yeah yeah. you know you're so when you're at soi how do they figure out what position you're going to be in a platoon so soi it's um it's more of a numbers thing. So I, I school train as an 0311 rifleman, right? And then so I go through all the 0311 rifleman training, and you know you get to you get to finger most of the weapons throughout the the infantry, and then it was um, I never understood the humps, man. I never liked them. Mm. Always hated them because it was like, hey, let's go put on a stupid amount of weight. Let's go warm up walking around Motor T three or four times and look at all the ve- all the vehicles that we're never going to use. Like I always felt like we were screwing the taxpayer. You know, actually, I can I can honestly say I have never ever in my life done what you just said, which is warm up for a hump. I've never done that. I was always just like, hey, I'll warm up for the first eight hours of this deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some so Marine Corps. Marine dude. Corps, you're going to warm up walking around yeah. Motor T. I like that. Yeah, Taking it to the next level. It's just you know, more mind games than Milton bradley bro (laughs) but it was it was the the humps that were like i was just thinking to myself like why don't we utilize all the stuff with motors and and rotors (laughs) i like that you're walking around the motor transport where all the vehicles are that could carry you knowing you're not gonna use them no no Mm -hmm. but that was the you know that you know we finished soi and we did you know a lot of the training was um there were so many times where you would hear the guys say, God, we did this 10,000 times yesterday, and we're doing it another 10,000 times today. Because, as you well know, we're all really good. No matter the caliber of warrior and the, the amount of training you have, we are all class A bitchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> you guys complain about everything. 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 You know, then we go off to these foreign places in these gnarly situations, and we get home and we're like... I want to go back to that. I miss it. <laughs> I know why that is the way it is now. Yeah. I know now 
That's just because as crazy as it is, it's easier. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to have some fun with it. Yeah, well, you come back here and it's like, it's just freaking Jerry Springer and the Kardashians. Like, just, <laughs> and it's like, when can we just utilize an ounce of common sense? You know, just please, for the love of God and all that's holy. Could we just call a dog a dog and a cat a cat and a man be a man and a woman be a woman and not worry about everything in between and all the judgment that's going to follow being what God made you? Like, could we just focus on toughening up and teaching our children who will one day lead this country that, believe it or not, the planet doesn't give a shit about your feelings. You're not always going to win. And mommy and daddy are not always going to be there deafening you with the rotor wash from their helicopter parenting. <laughs> like, that's going to go away. Yeah. Jack. Because this world will punch you in the mouth and then laugh. What are we teaching our kids? When are they, my son knows because I tell him it is my job as your parent to make sure you are prepared to take said punch and punch back because at some point it's going to happen and I would rather you lose whether you're, you're in an MMA competition or baseball or whatever it is I would rather you lose doing everything properly at 100% than win not doing the fundamentals the way you're supposed to and going 50% and he looked at me like well dad didn't it no, believe it or not, it's not always about winning because you're going to lose a lot. Yeah, it's life. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's it's something that's just start young. Start young letting them know that it's not all rainbows, roses, and lollipops, that there's no such thing as waking up on your unicorn ranch and picking which unicorn you're going to ride on what rainbow to wherever you go. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Can you do me a favor? <clears throat> Can you just, that last part? About no unicorns. Can you not tell my daughter that? <laughs> my eight-year-old daughter? Because she like, <laughs> yeah, actually, she thinks that she's waiting, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Setting traps and stuff. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so you get done with SOI. Yeah. And now, and now where do you go? Because yeah, so, are, you, are you in the reserves at this point? Yeah, so at the, I get done with SOI and I go check in and uh, I was late. Oh, that's a good call. Checking in. Yeah, so I didn't, it was a communication breakdown. Right, sure. So I didn't. It wasn't my fault. No, nothing's. You know, this recruit just don't know, sir. <laughs> but it was uh, a situation. The guy I checked in with was. was where my, were you checking in? What, what What were you checking into? To my unit, and it in, was in Bassier. In, okay, also known as Bozier. Okay. And so I was supposed to check in with a dude that I, I was in a boot or, or SOI with. I can't remember if we went to boot together or not. But uh, he goes and checks in. I, th- I believe it was a Friday. And so he goes, checks on Friday with first sergeant, and then and he calls me. He's like, Jake, first sergeant, I want to know where the hell you are. And I was like, dude, I thought you, you're – he's like, no, bro. He, he won't see like now. So I'm, I'm there Monday morning, first thing. And he looks at me, and he's like, where the hell were you, double dog? <laughs> and I was like, uh, sorry, first sergeant, uh, you know. So-so didn't tell me that. And he was like, is he a keeper? 
<laughs> and I was like, there's no easy way out of this. Yeah. You know, I look around his, his office and all of his awards and the accolades, and I'm just like, I just asked him, like, do you, can we just go to the gym and you beat the show? I mean, just get, <laughs> let's get this over with. And that's one of those let's things where, this. where when your dad asks you, like, now do you want to be grounded for a month or do you want the belt? Ten times out of ten, I'm like, mm. you want me to go get the belt for you? Because <laughs> that's easier, right? Yeah. Let's just let's just get through the the temporary pain, and then move forward. Mm-hmm. And with I was the same with first heart, which I think in the beginning he liked. Yeah, you know, you little in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, because it was <laughs> I developed a bit of a reputation over time, but it was um, again liberty, liberty. But he was, um, little did I know that I was checking in with now Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. Oh, damn. And I didn't, I had, of course, you know, you can't. Yeah. You can't the future. Foreshadow yeah. that. Yeah. And so it was, but he was the one, one of the guys, he was, he's just a Marine's Marine, man. He's, he's like, you, you know, it's like he, he fell off a poster and there he was, you know, like three red stripe, big map, black belt. And I mean, drill master, all you name it, he did it. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, we got pretty tight, and you know, he he disciplined me when he had to. But it was one of those things where, at the time, my unit when I checked in was actually in Gitmo, and they were doing base yeah. security and and all that stuff. And then they, uh, he tells me, "Hey, stay close to your phone. You're gonna go meet up." With your unit in Gitmo. I'm like, yeah, roger that first time I get to so go. Are we, are we in 2002 yet? This is, yeah, so this okay. is, because uh, I was in boot during Marine Corps birthday and Christmas. Yeah, and so this was, uh, there's that flashback to being in boot camp for the Marine Corps birthday and Christmas. Marine Corps birthday, I don't know if they still do it. I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah. I'm but sure they, they give do. you steak and shrimp and, like, cake in the chow hall. <laughs> and so we got back to the barracks, and that one D I was telling you about, who I pray to God hears this, because he'll know exactly who I am. <laughs> Come find me, bro. And uh, <laughs> But we line up, we get online in the squad bay, and he makes us, we're, we just finished this epic meal. We had more than, like, a minute and a half to eat. Got to sit there for a good five or six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> which is an eternity at the time. We get back online, start pounding canteens, hold them empty over our head, run back to the head, refill them, get back online, pound the canteens, hold them over your head empty, do it again and again and again. And he said, we're doing this until every one of you pukes up that meal that you don't deserve. Dang. And so, um, and we did. Uh. And then the first, of Good course, times. yeah, cha- chain reaction. The first dude pukes, and then it just starts. <laughs> like with me, I would rather seriously be have like cruel and unusual punishment done to me than puke. So I'm fighting it like like a mo, like I'm fighting it hard. And then the company CEO walks in the back door, and it was hilarious because the. Said DI like goes white, like yeah. uh oh, yeah, because yeah, he's hazing, you know. Yeah. And that's mm. when Daddy walks in and sees it. Just walked by all of us, and he's like, he had to go back behind the the racks because he didn't want to get puke on his 
Ugh. Oh, so you guys were just puking on the deck? Right in the middle oh, of the squad awesome. bay. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, because we were just going to deck tile it after the fact anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but then that was that was Marine Corps boot. That was, um, I'm sorry, uh, Marine Corps birthday. Yeah. So then Christmas rolls around, same DI. And uh, it's Christmas Eve. You know, we do our lights out, night ch- chesty, wherever you are. He opens the door. We'll just say it was like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Everyone knows the song, right? So he opens the door to the duty hut, and all you hear is, Rudolph the Red, bam, and the door slam. And you just hear him go, that's all you get, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> so you hear a lot of these one-liners that if I got, I stayed in trouble in the Marine Corps for laughing when you're not supposed to laugh. Yeah. Like, if I have to laugh, it's coming. Yeah. I can't hold it. <laughs> I immediately lose it, but one of the guys who was already in the targets of the DI started laughing, <laughs> and it was I think he was gone like a day and a half later. Damn. Like, it was, yeah. But it, just some of these one-liners, man, it's like you hear them. It's like, where do these dudes come up with this yeah. stuff? But then you see them yelling at trees on the on the base, and you're like, oh. Like, they're graded on yelling at a tree. Yeah, yeah. Who wakes up like, I want to do that? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't me. But I, I, I checked in. The dudes were in Gitmo, and um, I stayed by my phone. Phone never rang. So I got, I was, I lucked out. So what were you doing in the civilian? So were you living as a so civilian doing, what, doing drill one weekend a month or whatever? I started school. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, and I, I was training, you know, getting ready, because I knew we were going to go. Mm-hmm. Iraq or Afghanistan. I just didn't know which one. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... Being in a line unit, you knew we were going to go. Mm-hmm. And so it was um, the guys got home, and we started training. And uh, I'm in school, which went about like high school went, mm-hmm. minus the football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, – So honor student. <laughs> so here was, here's, it was funny because <clears throat> I realized early on, like, I can do this. I can do this school thing. Uh-huh. The only downfall to that was, is it was like okay, I've, I've I've been after this for a year. Like I've already proved myself, I can do this. I don't need to see it through, but it's right. now I'm just wasting my time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of beer to drink, mm-hmm. and you know, typical mindset. But the but my unit gets home, and and I go and meet the guys, which is like every other. You show up to the first time. It's like going to jail the first time. Like you're immediately being sized up, and it's like. But I was one of those guys who, like, I was not. I just wasn't going to take a shit, mm-hmm. and so it went well for me because I was able to use dumb strength and humor to, to yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. get in with the with the guys who outranked me, and uh, but they also knew that I was, I loved it. I love what I did, and so the guys get back. And this one guy who's a freaking mortarman, go figure. And he's like, hey, Schick, you're a big dude. You should be a gunner. You're going to be a gunner. What do you think about being a gunner? Well, it doesn't matter. You're going to be a gunner. So I was like, oh, all right, whatever, sir. Like 31, okay, go be a gunner. And uh, then we did our first hump with that system. How you like that? And I was like, I'm going to beat that dude <laughs> within an inch of his life. Because I knew I could. And I was like, that son of a bitch should not tell me that this, that came with like a tripod. And, yeah. and oh, it yeah. was like, oh, it sucked. But it was, you know, I mean, you're earning your stripes, yeah. you know. But it was one of those things where we, we were just waiting. But we were a tight unit. Like, yeah. We were a tight-knit group. And I think, I think that probably had a lot to do with us knowing that, 
it's a matter of time, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and and most of us weren't prior combat guys. We were a young unit, and um, it was interesting, man, because it was it was a, it was an eclectic group, you know, a, a group a group from all walks of life, which is something that I always really admired about the military, regardless of what branch or special whatever, is that you are forced to communicate. And to adapt with other people, because if you don't, you're you're screwed. Yeah, and that's something that I always appreciated, and at the same time, it wore me the hell out because there were some guys, you know, there's just some guys that you're just like, you know, if I never saw that guy again, it'd be too soon. <laughs> and it's usually just because, you know, it's. Well, I always have to explain <clears throat> to civilians that I'm working with because a lot of people have the impression of civilians that. Uh, you know, the civilians have the impression that everyone in the military is just like a machine that just is going to do what they're told. And if you're the sergeant, the corporal's <laughs> going to listen to you. And it's like, mm, not really doesn't work like that. Like, it'll work like that for a little while. It'll work for, you know, a little while. But over time, those 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 young guys will, or the junior people, if you're not leading them correctly, you're not going to be able to get things done. You oh, it, it can turn into yeah. a shit show real quick. Real quick. <laughs> real quick. <laughs> because you're also dealing with a bunch of dudes. That feel like they, that are of the mindset. I, I can take on this world with one hand tied behind my back by myself. You're dealing with that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Those yeah, yeah. alpha personalities are abundant. Yeah, yeah. And then you you mix in a lot of testosterone and stupidity, and you have a very dangerous situation. <laughs> Low IQ, high T count. We like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what it is. <laughs> it is. It is. But um, now, did you guys? Did you guys? Do like the so you're doing one weekend a month of drill and then you do two yeah. weeks in the summertime, but then in what 2003 you guys get called up or 2004? I think we got we got the call in in 03, okay. I believe if I'm not mistaken. I've been blown up since then and hitting the head a lot, so I don't know. It, I think we got the call in 03 saying that we were going to be the, called okay. at a certain time and they then, gave you like a warning order like okay it's coming pretty much and then they said okay you're gonna go do your work up in uh 29 palms california Check. and so we you know we get to 29 palms and i was like i remember man <laughs> getting off that bird and i was just like this place sucks <laughs> I, get, I thought you were gonna have something really <laughs> profound to say no. and you said it <laughs> 29 palms this place sucks it was i was like why why do of course the marines would have this base of course it made total sense you know it was just like let the bitching begin yeah and it was abundant bro it was abundant because unless you had money to go to palm springs i'll see you at 29 stumps right out the gate and you we're inevitably going to be fighting this is the amazing thing this is the amazing thing is i get asked or i got asked on the podcast, you know, how do you, how do I, you know, my, I, I, I checked into a battalion or I think a guy was a company commander and the morale's not good. How do we get the morale good? I'm like, do hard things. You want to improve morale, do hard things. Yeah. And one of the things like, what are you going to do at 29 stumps? What are you going to do there? Well, you're going to hang out with each other. That's what you're going to do. It's yep. going to suck. You're going to go in the field. You're going to sweat. It's going to be hot and you're going to do hard things and you're going to become tighter as a unit. That's what happens. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Weird. <laughs> Weird. It's just weird how that works. Now, who was running the training? They have so, a training cadre out there. So we, uh, I'm 
trying to remember. It was. Um, or are you guys training yourselves? Or is your is your officer leading the training? Uh, we had gunny sergeant. Yeah, I mean, we we had gunny. There was kind of both, mm-hmm. right? We had so like we would go to Mount Town or whatever, and we would have some mountain instructors out there. there you go. And, got it. But it wasn't because I mean, a lot of guys were forward deployed. Yeah, I mean, we're gone and. But we we literally we trained we trained hard. Yeah. I mean, it was you talk about training for the sake of muscle memory. Yeah, we it was gnarly what we did, and it was uh, like you said, we did a lot of hard things too, and we only got tighter and tighter yeah. and tighter as a unit. And but we it was uh, I mean, I remember the first time we went out to do our, our first training evolution out at american mines and we we humped out there of course because you know don't want to use the vehicles and uh i remember we staged we staged our gear and my platoon sergeant dropped his pack and there's like a like a little rattlesnake den by where he dropped his pack and so we had to go move and then he goes to put his pack on to move and there's a black scorpion on his pack and i was like this is awesome <laughs> like this is and then we had a ton of bees that were go after the 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 water buffalo the, the trailer the big water trailers mm-hmm. and it was like we can't yeah it's just yeah it's inevitable marine corps shit like it's the the suck factor is going to be pegged the entire time yeah and it was it's it's like this guy was just looking down on us man like hey you're gonna earn it. Yeah. <clears throat> One day I'm gonna have this uh, team guy buddy of mine on. He's got a lot of rattlesnake stories from the desert because rattlesnakes are very amusing. You know, once you start catching them and putting them in people's vehicles and putting them in their in their backpack, sure. just stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's cool. I'm telling you right now, that's good that, stuff. Right someone would have got a stab. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. No, it's. It, and here's you, the, you want to see someone jump though. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But hey, you know they don't know that the fangs have been removed. Rip the fangs out with a Leatherman. Ask me how much I care. <laughs> You're completely missing the point. <laughs> it's the principle. Yeah. Snake season. Get some, dude. It was the some of the best. <laughs> the dark greens do not like the the little creatures and the creepy crawlies. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing some of the reactions of some of the dark greens was what's the dark greens they're they're to be politically correct they're african-american marines <laughs> oh, gotcha. dark green marines gotcha call them gotcha. dark greens and, and they know and they yeah. I mean, they call them so it's accepted right it doesn't bother them dark they, greens they don't write their congressman <laughs> it's it's yeah. unbelievable the way that works so they're they're it's you know and i got to see one i just spoke with this uh Dill, a couple days ago. No, it was yesterday. And one of the Marines I served with was there. It was dark green. And uh, man, it was all. It was probably hadn't seen him in a decade. Mm-hmm. Didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. It was. It was like seriously didn't miss a beat. And I'm like, man, that was. God, just imagine, imagine if mankind could have a taste of that. Just a taste. Mm-hmm. It would be. Imagine how much better. The spinning ball of chaos would be, but it's it was awesome. It was just good to see him and and to see the way that he changed. 
you just see the maturity over time, you know, the, of, of how life can, it alters your course and alters your mindset because of the things you experience and you go through and, and the, how many times you're taught how human you are, you know, it was, it was cool. It was good for the soul, you know, and, uh, yeah, it was just cool to see him and be able to embrace that dude. And I mean, that, that's my family. That is, I don't give a shit what color his skin is. That dude's my blood. And that's just the way it is. It's the way it always will be. But we, um, yeah, and he used to, he used to annoy the shit out of me. Like I used to thought, think like his, his mouth is never going to shut. <laughs> like one of these days, man, one of these days. And, uh, but it was so epic because it was like, that's my bro, you know? And it was, it was just awesome, man. It just goes to show you, like, we get these little reminders in life. If, if you just shut your mouth and listen, you get these little reminders of how worth it everything's been and what purpose everything has served. And it was cool to see that I got one of those, yeah. you know? And it gives me, it was a little fuel for the soul to, to keep going. But um, I remember this, our, our first loss was in uh, March Air Force Base. We were doing house-to-house fighting in the abandoned housing unit in March Air Force Base. And it was um, it was a training loss because of a guy that they were practicing J-turns in a Humvee. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a young kid, I, he wasn't our company, he was a different company, um, same battalion and the the Humvee flipped mm. and he was just the inertia of the Humvee flipping he couldn't get out of the turret and uh, it was up armored and so when it flips it obviously kills the gunner there's no way he's going to get out and so mandatory 24 hour safety stand down to take our phones and all that stuff and you know hey don't write home don't call anyone this is you know it's, mm-hmm. we got to abide by the SOPs yeah. <clears throat> That was a, you know, that was a, one of like an, an eye-opening deal, man. That was like, okay, this is the real deal. Like this, we're not. This is a life and death game we're playing. And I'll never forget when we got back to Twenty Nine Palms, which I, I don't remember if it was a couple days later, three days later, a day later, whatever. But we wake up and we go to formation, and we walk out to go to formation and. um Man, everywhere you looked, you saw a piece of computer paper, just a regular piece of paper, turned horizontally, and they were taped all over the place, everywhere you looked. And all he said on them was complacency kills. Mm. Everywhere you looked, you saw that, complacency kills. And Gunny had just printed out all these papers. And that, to this day, that sticks with me. And I think about it not... Every all the time because we all get complacent, but it could not be more true. Whether it's literal, you know, or, or figuratively speaking, I mean, you, in, of course, in most of our lives nowadays, you get complacent. And yeah, you're, you might not die, but something can be irreversibly damaged. Well, yeah, I mean, I talk about that all the time. That just, just the complacent, even the complacency on the little things in life. That's just putting you down the wrong path. Like, yeah. That's just the way it is. That's the reality. Hey, man, and let me tell you that. <clears throat> I mean, I could be referred to as Captain Complacent when it comes to that. I'll be the first to tell you that I'm much more sinner than saint. I, I always say, 
you know, that God gave his only son to suffer and die on a cross because he knew there was going to be guys like me. The only difference is I'm willing to admit it. You know, I'm willing to own my flawedness. And I say all the time that I've stood with everything from leaders of mankind to presidents to the most savage individuals you'll ever meet and everything in between. The one common denominator is every one of them is equally fundamentally flawed. Every single one. Yeah, no doubt about that. They just have different clothes on. That's it. That's what I'm saying, man. If we could stop, if we could just stop with this political correctness and this false manufactured protection. We could get, I always say, if if you took out self-interest and self-gain in the fight for the greater good, imagine where we would be right now. Imagine where we would be. Because we would be leaps and bounds ahead of where we are. We'd be light years ahead of where we are. If there was nothing to be gained to help someone that you've never met and that can never repay you, you just do it. Because we've been so conditioned to be selfish. And it's unfortunate because that's what I love about this guy who's, for all intents and purposes, the godfather of the Marine Corps. People can say how he may have been arrogant or pompous or whatever, but I guarantee you he was the last one to eat. Oh, yeah. He he was definitely the last one to eat. And Actually, that book's a great book, and there's a a big difference between his reputation of what people thought about him that never worked with him. People that worked with him, the the, the Marines that worked with him, that served with him, that he would go around their foxholes at night in negative 25 degree weather and and ask guys if they're okay and give give them a shot of whiskey. I mean, he, they, they loved him because he cared about those, he cared about them. That's the, the image, as a matter of fact, like he had this driver that was with him for a long time, Jones was his last name. And Jones, people would come up and say, how did you stay with Chesty Puller for so long? Didn't he chew you out and demote you? And he's like, no, the guy never yelled at me ever. That's, that's the difference. That's the difference between, that's the dichotomy between what his image was mm-hmm. and what he was really like. The people who he would, the, the reason he had a reputation for being, you know, super, uh, I, guess, I guess, direct with people was the way he went up the chain of command. When he would tell an admiral out on a ship, like, you better put those bombs where we need them right now, or, you know, he'd up the chain of command, or he'd come back to America and say, hey, the, the binoculars that you're building suck, and they, <laughs> and they steam up, and we can't see anything. What's wrong with you? So that's where he got the reputation. But down the chain of command, he, he was not like that. There's another great story in there that I cover on the podcast where he catches a guy sleeping on watch that are in training, and he wakes the guy, guy up, and he's the battalion commander. He wakes the guy up and says, hey. What are you doing sleeping? What if your captain would have caught you? He would have he would have had me come to court martial you. It'd have been a disaster. You gotta stay awake, old man. That's his nickname for everyone was old man. <laughs> but that's the difference, is he cared he cared so much about his men. And and you know, that's the that's the incredibly hard part that we were talking about earlier, is like when he's when his son comes home from Vietnam. Oh yeah. And you know, he's like, his heart is broken. It's broken. And he can't even speak. And he can't, he's just convulsing with tears. And it's because, you know, he loved his son, but his son was representative of every Marine. And he said that. You know, he said that. It was like the, that the closing of that book. You know, he tells his wife. His wife says, well, what do you want to do now that it's all over? And he's like, I want to see the face of every Marine I ever served with. Dude. You know? 
I mean, that, that right there, any, for anyone who's listening to this and questioning, what is my purpose? Why am, on, why am I alive? Why am I here? What's the point? Two things. And it's the same for every individual, no matter what country, no matter what little village, doesn't matter. We all have are here to do two things, love and be loved. That's it. Everything else is filler. Love and be loved. That's it. It's hard as shit because we make it hard as shit. That's it. When he saw his son, that all came crashing down on him. That's it. And it was reality. Yeah. It was one of those, like in, whether it was in Lewis's situation where when you're severely wounded or you lose someone that you love tremendously, I mean, with reckless abandonment, you, you love all the way. And if you're of the right warrior mindset or first responder or law enforcement, you've been around that and you're, you're the real deal. You're probably just like me or you're, you're incapable of loving halfway. You're incapable of it. Because if we did that, we're taking away from that in which we are supposed to be true to and to honor. And that's, that's the point. It's you get, you don't get a piece of humble pie. You inhale the factory all at once. And that's just what it is. And some guys don't come out of that. You know, and if I'm, if I wasn't surrounded by people that were better than me, and that refused to love me to death, I would be Lewis. And far be it for me to sit here and look at you and say, not an option. It's not an option. Because one thing I've learned in this fight, this fight of mental health and of this floating noodle in between our ears, is that no one gets a pass. Nobody gets a pass. I don't care who you are, what you've been through, what you know, who you know. You don't get a pass. And I've learned that the hard way from having to bury friends over and over and over and over. And to talk myself out of, <clears throat> you're not worth it. It would be easier for them if you weren't here. And letting the demons get the better of me. Like, it's a constant dance. Like when people say, oh, well, you know, Jake, it probably take a lot of pressure off you. Just work on your, your, your work and, and life balance. Like, because it's, you just got to find your balance. Well, okay, here's some news. There is no balance. It's a constant dance. You're constantly trying to figure it out. It's just like our enemies in Iraq, Afghanistan, like it's, we change our taxes, they change theirs. We change ours, they change theirs. We change ours. It's a constant dance. It's never finite, right? Nothing is. That's one of the, the things that makes life worth living. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and know what tomorrow has in store for me. What's the point? I just want to wake up and love and be loved. All the way. Not halfway. Be hot or be cold. If you're lukewarm... 
get the hell out of my foxhole. I don't want to fight with you. Let's talk about when you went on deployment now. Mm-hmm. So it's 2004 is when you deploy, like the summer of 2004? Yeah. And where do you guys deploy to? So we our primary AO was the Sunni Triangle of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. We landed in Kuwait. We were only in Kuwait. I think they called it Camp Victory, maybe. I can't remember the name of it. It was before the Pizza Huts and Subways and all that. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we go. We we land in Kuwait. We're only there for a couple of days, and um, we get on the bird. And I'll never forget this. We were on the on the tarmac in Kuwait, getting ready to fly over Al Assad. And um, I think I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was. I think we we were on the first three C one thirties we got on. We had to get off of because they weren't mechanically sound or or whatever, or just Gunny just felt like screwing with us. I, who knows? But we had to get off of them. But it wasn't Gunny because I remember the fourth one, and we're all sweating mm-hmm. our asses yeah, off. It's August, it's miserable. Yeah, Mis- miserable. And I remember the fourth one. I don't know if it was the the crew chief, or the loadmaster, whoever, but Gunny took some someone somewhere, and I'm pretty sure it was a conversation, pretty much like if this bird doesn't take off, you're not gonna go home alive anyway, because it, it sucked. I mean, we were all. I mean, we have everything on. Yeah, you know, and we're frontline marines, so we we're geared out, and it's with stuff we'll never use mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> but it was on the gear list. Yeah, yeah, gotta have it. <laughs> yeah, and so we, but we ended up landing in Al Assad, and I remember when we got off the bird in Al Assad, and I thought to myself, "Man, twenty nine pounds wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that bad? Yeah, Al Assad'll do that to you. <laughs> I, mi- I miss it already, you know. And um, so we we get off and. We go to our, our tent where we're sleeping with our bunk beds, and um, we start the the brief the next day, and I remember we were... So is that where you guys were going to be working out of? Were you guys actually going to be camp at, stationed at yeah, Al-Assad rare, primarily? Yeah, but I mean, rarely got to s- stay on That's Al-Assad. where your headquarters were? Yeah, that's w- where battalion was. Okay. Yeah. And so <clears> we start the the 48 hour brief and we're in the middle of that and um captain walks in we're in one of the hangars and he had a look on his face that you know something wasn't good obviously and it was because during the the left seat right seat of the unit we were placing got hit and they lost i don't want to misquote it but um one of the guys I was just with uh, this past weekend was there um, in that unit. We replaced two seven, and it was uh, they had lost like a like an XO, a first sergeant, like it was bad. Mm-hmm. They got, That's from one. Like, was it an IED strike? I yeah, it was it was um, IED with after action, and got so I mean, they they 
it was just a bad situation. You What's know after I mean? action? So they took fire, and it was not like it wasn't an isolated event. They like hit the ID goes, and then and then they fight. Then, 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 then they're hit with RPGs. And gotcha. Yeah, yeah, fire. yeah, yeah. There's a, it was it was a gnarly situation they shouldn't have been in because it happened in a place that was you know friendly, and um, and at the time actually when we were over there. I don't even. I think we still call them roadside bombs. I don't even think we called them IEDs yet. I don't think we utilize that terminology yet, if I'm not mistaken. Again, I could be wrong. It's happened before. But we, so we hear this, and it, I mean, it hits us like we're like, oh, shit, that's not good. That stuff's not supposed to happen. And um, so that was another big awakening moment, right? And but we get ready to to leave and um at this time i'm i'm a machine gun team leader a little that i know i'd become leader of the react team same as qrf quick reaction force and so we you know we have like the 16 vehicle convoy or something you know, which would be a huge no-no nowadays and i remember the sir walked by and he was like hey chick we need we need someone to man that pig on the lead vehicle and get get behind the 240 on the lead vehicle and I was like who, who, who's going to jump on that pig and we were just in briefs hearing about guide wires they'd put guide wires across the road oh, yeah. trying to decapitate gunners and it was, I had left my first deployment in uh, I want to say April or May of 2004 so it was, I mean right before yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. so and I was just trying to think if we were using the term ID, and I'm almost positive we were because I remember, I remember. No, yeah, uh, but you guys are special. Yeah, no, I know. But I was trying to think. I remember like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually envisioning a slide. We caught an IED maker, and and we had all this like he had wires and he had uh, like clocks, like multiple clocks from a from like a, a, a timers, like kitchen timers. And so he had wires, kitchen timers, all this stuff. And they're like, hey, this guy you caught, he's an innocent guy. And I was like, well, no. And they say, well, no, he's innocent. What evidence do you have? And I, I, I brought these pictures, and I'm like, look at the stuff that we took off this target. It's all IED stuff. And they were like, oh, okay. Uh, but it was the first, it was kind of first starting to assemble the idea that people were building these improvised explosive devices. Okay. So I think we were using it, but you're right, it might not have spread to the Marine Corps yet at this point. We're kind of slow, but, it's, <laughs> but we're deadly. It's, I mean, I, I don't know. It, we might have. You know, it, was, it was a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. That's irrelevant. But, um, because you know, roadside bombs, that's just, yeah. that wasn't good enough. Yeah. So let's call it an idea. Well, if it's not, if you don't have a, a don't an don't don't church it. it up. <laughs> don't church it up. But we, <laughs> so but we but we're we're out there. We have our convoy, and um, so I asked the guys, like, hey, who's gonna go man that pig? And it's crickets. I was like, oh, very well. I got it. I looked at him and was like, hey, sir, I got it. I'm going to do it. And then, of course, like, no, no, no. Okay. no. I'm like, no. A few, a few, a few, a few. When I die, yeah. just remember what your letter <laughs> needs to say. It's because you were of a JJ. <laughs> and uh, it was you know, a, lot, a lot more colorful language. But, but I jumped up there, man, and it was, look, Pucker Factor pegged. You know, pegged. Because I'm like, how do you see a guide wire? Like, can you see the guide wire? Does the sun have to be hit in a certain way? Like, what is? What am I looking for? You know. And you had? Did you have armored Humvees? 
No, most of them weren't. Yeah, and did, no. did the most turret, of them were two door soft tops. Yeah, get some. That's what we had. The turret was the turret. Just so we were in like a six the, ton, and oh, the lead okay. vehicle was a six oh, ton. That's better. That's, that's more comfortable. Mm. I mean, I'd rather be in that than a Humvee. If I'm in the lead vehicle, I would rather be in a Harrier. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but we. That's it, why you signed up for infantry. Get some. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we hated, and you know, the pilots. It was like they're a bunch of prima donnas. And we would see them come in and land and go to their air conditioned cans. And they were like, you know, they're eating steak and shrimp. And, you know, they're, they're all comfortable and they're, and they're on their, Sleep number bed. <laughs> it's like you know, you yeah. make all this stuff up in your uh, head, dude. I'll tell you what, you make that up in your head. We had a we had a World War Two pilot on here, Jim Kunkel, and he was literally saying like, "Hey, the the war in Europe for me." He was a P thirty eight pilot. He's like, my missions were like at like forty five minutes. He's like, then I was back and I was back at base. Now, of course, those forty five minutes were pretty sketchy. He ended up getting shot down, but. Uh, you know, a lot of missions that he did is exactly what you said. That, that's the reality of being a pilot. That's the reality of it. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and then, but until you need them. Oh, God, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. And then the first time that happens, you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we need those guys. Yeah, for sure. You no. know, but it's interesting because as a, as a line guy, you know, as a grunt, I mean, you're trained from day one. Every other job in the United States military it's to support you. Yeah, that's true. You know, you're trained that, which I'm not, I, I mean, I won't say if I agree or disagree with it now, because I, I, I it's like I tell civilians, like, look, think of the, of the military as a giant wheel with a lot of spokes. Combat guys are like a s- super small portion of one spoke. Yeah. It takes a lot of moving parts to make this well, machine turn. That's true. And so it's, it's whether it's in support. Like, listen, I'm over that. I don't need. I don't need that anymore. Like, I understand why guys think that. I understand the mindset. There's a there's a great. I was uh, listening to some Hackworth talking, Colonel David Hackworth, and and one of the things that he said, he was trying to explain how many people were in combat in Vietnam in combat, and it was like ten percent of the troops. So at the peak of Vietnam, there was five hundred and sixty thousand people in country in Vietnam, and like fifty thousand of them were. Actually engaged in combat yeah. at that at, at any one time, and that's you know probably a pretty good figure. Uh, a lot of the World War One, World Two, World War Two statistics are the same. It's like ten to one. There's ten support people for every one person that's gonna like close close with and destroy the enemy. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the way it is. Yeah, and I mean it's. I would never look at a supply guy, or of course when I was in, I did it all the time. I'm like, hey, Pogue, don't you have some Pogue bait? Or whatever <laughs> the stupid shit is that you say. But, like, I, I see him now, and it's like, hey, man, I appreciate your It's like, oh, well, I could, I, I didn't do anything. Like, and I'm like, yeah. hey, first of all, there is no Richter skill on pain and suffering. You know, what makes it unique is that it's unique to the individual. You can't grade it. Mm. So, like, you're... You know, your sprained ankle when you were you roll your ankle playing basketball during your lunch hour. How do you know that didn't hurt as bad as my fibian tibia coming out of my left leg? It I'm, might have. I'm gonna yeah, question you a little bit on that one, but 
the point. The, it, How the yeah. hell do we get talking about this? <laughs> hey, that's, uh, support people in the military. They do a great uh, job. Then we wouldn't. The frontline troops wouldn't be able to do anything without them. So that's and, what I'm and, saying. And vice versa. If the frontline troops weren't there, the the support people would have no job. That's the attitude I always had. And we were a team that had Thank to cover you. and move together. Yeah. And if the intel people didn't supply the intel, and if the there if the go. CBs didn't build the bases and keep the generators running, and the yeah. combat engineers weren't out clearing, I mean, it's like it takes a tribe. Yeah, exactly. And so that's my point. You know, it's like, listen, if, if you're still in and you're in a non-combat role, be proud of what you're doing. Yeah, Just no, no doubt. Uh, you know, I have guys that I meet now and they say, well, I was in from, you know, 84 to 90 and I never did anything. And I was like, hey, you did what your country asked you to do. Yeah. Like, you know. Like, like stop good. with that mindset, man. Yeah. It, yeah. You've been conditioned just to call it what it is by guys like I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> to believe you didn't do anything. Okay, well, the more mature me, still pretty dumb, but the more mature me <laughs> is here to tell you, thank you for carrying the flag before I did. Yeah, yeah. That's another point, is like, who was going to train you? Who tra- Who's the DIs that put you through boot camp? And who's the guys that trained them in 1984, yeah. right? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a long it, chain. It's a gift that keeps on giving, yeah. you know? And it's, but you served. You're yeah. doing more than most. Yeah. You know, you're doing more than most. Be proud of that fact. Yeah. And and so, but I but I remember being we we leave the wire for the first time in Al Assad, and um, so we had guys driving the six ton that that were Motor T guys that weren't our guys. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know them, and we it was like a I don't know if he's like a Lance Cooley, and then there was like a, a staff sergeant in the A driver seat, and I'm up on the turret, right? And so I'm just like. All right, you know, whatever. And so we're coming, we come out of the gate and we bang a left and we're headed to our first checkpoint, which, by the way, the Iraqi National Guard and Iraqi police knew what our checkpoints were, when we were leaving, when we were going to get there. So that's awesome. Yeah, because, you know, there's some really, really smart people in D.C. that thought that was a good idea. And, um, yeah, so that, obviously, that, that standard operating procedure didn't last real long because we mm. we knew it was a bad idea, and but you know word had to get back to them like hey bombs and stuff like just follow us everywhere we go. Mm. It's weird. It's, mm. it's almost like they know we're gonna be there. Imagine that, you know. And so I remember um, like we took some t- type of contact right, and I'm, I'm lead vehicle. And the, the dude and the the, dri- the driver stops on a, in the middle of a bridge, and I distinctly remember in training, do not mm. stop on a bridge. And so I'm telling this dude like, get off the bridge, and he's like looking at his staff sergeant German saluting like, what are, what are <laughs> he's yelling at me. And so I start kick, I start kicking him in his helmet like, get off the bridge. The staff sergeant didn't. The staff sergeant was like, "Dude, just get off the bridge." <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and so it was. Um, I I Captain Chick, Corporal uh, Chick. Yeah, I dude, I. we got off the bridge, and I'm like, "Hey, genius! How do you know that that thing wasn't gonna blow? Don't stop on a bridge, ever. Mm. You're Motor T. I'm just shocked that someone didn't tell you don't stop on a bridge because you're you're a sitting duck." And it's like, that was my, like, welcome to Iraq moment when it was, um, 
and man, we just started everything after that. Pretty pretty much just blurs together, mm-hmm. and until the day that we got told that we were going to go to Dulop, which was for all intents and purposes a, a an ammo dump, was pretty much what Dulop was, and that's where we were. You know, insurgents were going to get unexploded ordnance and. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of RPGs, you know, AKs, 7.62 rounds, mortars. I mean, thousands. I mean, we had the combat engineers out there all day, every day, blowing stuff. I mean, they just couldn't blow it quick enough because we would find so many of these weapon caches everywhere. It was insane. And so, but we go through, we get to up to the point of... I guess it's a little after a month that we're there and uh, we get the order that we're going to go to Dulab, which for most of us was like, okay, we can breathe some kickback time, relax. I had a bad feeling about it. Right in my gut. As soon as they told us, I heard Dulab and I knew it was our turn to go and secure the perimeter of Dulab. I I got a bad feeling in my gut. Didn't know what it was. And so my role was when I left, when I left, the states and i told my family hey listen here's the deal don't send me anything don't write me i'm not gonna write you don't watch the news and no news is good news i'll see you in seven months because in my mind i had a job to do and i didn't need them in my head with their first world bullshit and because my family puts the jerry and springer and so definitely didn't need that and so that was my mindset. But I we get we we're told we're going to do lab, and so I get this weird feeling in my gut, and I'm like, damn it, what, well, I don't know what that is. It's the night before we head out, and you know, I get a shower and a hot shower, and I'm walking back to our tent from the the shower trailer, and I walk by Gunny, and Gunny, he, he was a salty Gunny man. He I mean he was like a like a 23 year Gunny, he earned it, and. Uh, and I loved him. Everybody loved him. You know, and he was one of those guys where if you tell him good morning and he doesn't tell you, like, if he if he don't, if you don't hear something back, like, go F your mom, <laughs> if you hear, like, good morning back, gonna, he's pissed about something and it's going to be a long day. But, like, if you're like, go F your mom, you're like, sweet, Gunny's in a good mood. <laughs> he's just, he was that guy, mm-hmm. you know, and um, everybody loved him. Everybody respected him because he demanded it and he commanded it because he would be the first guy. If it pops off, he's going to be right there. He's not, he's not ducking behind anything. He's the dude walking up and down the line, smoking a cigar. That's that gunny. He's that guy. And it was just an abundant amount of respect he had. And even if you, even if you hated him, you love to hate him. You know, but I, I love the dude because it was for me. He was what the Marine Corps meant as one individual, and and I dug that about him. You know, I was like, that's I need to be around him all the time. I want more of what's in his head in mine. I can learn a tremendous amount from this guy. And so um, I'm walking back into the tent. He's in front of the tent, and I said, "Good evening, Gunny." And I walk by, and he didn't say anything, and he grabs, like, the back of my skibby shirt and pulls me back towards him, and he hugged me, and he said, I love you, Shick. And I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I'm, like, what do I do? Do I say it back? 
Is this a trap? What do I do? And so I was like, screw it, man. I mean, I've been dirty before. I love you too, Guns. And I'll never forget. He just looked at me right in my face and just said, you're going to be all right. So rather that. So then I was like, okay, something's not right. At this point, I'm 100% convinced something's not right. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't right. So I broke my cardinal rule and went to the phone tent, called my family, and the last person I called was my dad. And, you know, you have the two, three-second delay. And I knew it was about 1030 at night in Shreveport, Louisiana, and, and I knew he was home alone because my stepmom and my little brother were at the ranch in San Antonio, and he answers the phone. And I said, hey, Pop. And he knew it was me because I'm the only kid that calls him Pop. First words out of his mouth were, why am I talking to you? It's almost like he knew that I knew something wasn't right. And I said, I just wanted to tell you how much I love you and what you being my father means to me as your son. Because at this point in our life, in our journey as father and son, was that's pretty much where it ended. He was my dad, I was his son. That was it. Because my older brother, he was born and God just touched his forehead and said, athlete. And my dad was a baseball player. My brother's a baseball player. I always hated it. I was like, that is the slowest sport known to mankind. It's like watching paint dry. And and so I, I always, growing up, felt like I was always chasing my brother. I was chasing this, this unbelievable athlete that I was never going to be better than when it came to athleticism, no matter what sport. But I was chasing that. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go play baseball to try and appease my dad to show him, like, hey, I can do this too. I can do And I sucked. I was never I was never any good at it. You know, football, it, knowing now, baseball is an art almost. It's a calculated art. Whereas with football, if you can run into another human with 100% Focus and a hundred percent will of breaking that man's will by making your body collide with his as hard as you can. You can play football <laughs> to a certain extent. Right. You can play football. Well, I did. I loved it because for me, it was an outlet of the aggression that I had as a kid growing up in the 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 antithesis of the cookie cutter childhood. And so, at this point that I'm leaving, you know, I'm. I, my father and I it was we weren't where I felt like we should be as father and son you know it was just this is a conversation that I've, I've had with my dad since obviously and so he when it, when I told him like I just want you to know it's important that you know how much I love and respect you and how much I owe you for being there when you were dealt a shitty hand and you had us kids on your own and you leaned in you leaned in and you bowed up and I owe you till I die I'll owe you and I needed you to know that and so he said how long is this mission I said nine days <clears throat> and you know, he knew not to ask where are you going what are you doing because the people that listen to your, every phone call would mm-hmm. your call would be over and he said, I bet I want to hear from you in nine days. He said, I better hear from you in nine days. I said, you will, Pop. I love you, man. And he just said, 
I love you too. And it ended with, you better be okay. And I hung up. And it was one of those moments where I was like, as a, at the time I'm 21, 21 years old. And I realized I have, I have no control over anything. Nothing. I I feel like I think I can. Like I think I have control and in protecting my team and making sure my team's okay. I have no control over anything. It was one of those human moments where I realized I'm just as vulnerable as everyone else. There's nothing special about me. I can be the biggest, strongest, toughest. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because when it's your time, it's your time. That's it. Doesn't matter what you know. Doesn't matter how well trained you are. If God pulls your card, you're done. And so it was a very, very sobering and and humbling moment for me. And we left out the next morning to go to Alice or go to Dulab. We get out to Dulab, and you know we start patrolling the perimeter and. If a react was called, of course, me and the react team, which me and nine Marines would go to wherever the react is. And But I always had that heavy feeling in my gut that it didn't affect my job. It didn't affect our day-to-day operations and what we were doing. But I knew it's, it, it was something was coming. And then one night we had, a, um, we had two guys come in the main gate, and they were in like a, a white opal. It's pulled in the main gate and pretty much just laid down on both sides of the car obviously not normal behavior well these guys were high profile targets that once we find out who they are and radio battalion they're like hey don't let them out of your sight and so we ended up having and for the react team we had two two door soft top humvees that's what we had to operate in and the guy we had one guy in the back of one vehicle Another guy in the back of the second vehicle, and they both had empty MRE boxes duct taped on their head because we were out of hoods, and so it provides adapt and overcome. And um, you know, had them hog, just had had them. They weren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, so the Iraqi National Guard also got to be on the same net frequency as us, radio frequency. So they're hearing all the transmissions. Next thing you know, they show up, and there's a lot of them. And they pull in and circle us, obviously a show of force, and say, you know, these guys, same thing you went through about the IED maker, the bomb maker. You know, these guys, they're no threat. These guys are good. You need to let them go. We're like, no, no. And I remember one of the guys that was like the colonel of the Iraqi National Guard, and he said, well, you, you need uh, the, the, terp, the interpreters there and I remember him saying something along the lines of, we need to take a direct order from a superior officer. And we were like, hey, bro, I don't know if you've been working with the Army or whatever. Well, we don't give a shit who you are because we know that you're probably a bad guy. So, no, they're not leaving. And um, that situation got super gnarly, (laughs) super quick. And I was thinking to myself, like, I remember telling one of the guys that uh, had a nine, 
to one of the dudes head, and I, I told him if he so much as sneezes, he'll push his brains to the side of his head. And I could hear that Beretta 9 mil. I could hear it rattling. Because he was, it was, I'm sure it was from pre-Vietnam, the Marines, you know, and I could hear, but I could hear the slide rattling against the barrel. And I was like, dude, that dude is shaking hard. <laughs> but I knew if that dude so much as sneezed, I knew it would happen. And so we were, by the grace of God, we had, uh, cause we, were, we were part of Weapons Platoon, but Weapons Company. It just got done doing a cord and a knock or whatever they were doing, and they're listening to this transmission over the net. So we're talking with battalion, saying like, "Hey, this is escalating." And there's about sixty-five of them and ten of us, so they were heavily outnumbered, obviously. <laughs> and but we need some serious shit is going to go down. Yeah. And so weapons company pulls in. I don't even remember if it's an hour later, three hours. It seemed like a freaking eternity. But they pull in and make a circle around the ING. Good times. Bro. <laughs> and, of course, the weapons company are the ones with, you know, the Mark 19s, 50 cals, AT4. We had AT4s, too. But, I mean, they had all all the big – you know when they pull in, you, you know, like, okay, those guys have big stuff that obviously goes bang a lot. And so these guys pulled in, and it was almost in unison. The, the, the Iraq National Guard guys dropping their AKs, hands in the air, no mista, no mista. And I was like, "Yep, those are our homies." <laughs> you know, like so. Let's and so those guys they take them and take them back to uh, Al Assad, and you know, and then they they popcorn fart disappear. Just gone. I mean, I'm sure some super secret squirrel agency came in and got them or whatever. We finally go to bed down, and um, I go up to the command post, and Doc was up at the command post. It was his turn to sit in the vehicle that, that powers the command post, and it was his turn to count the flares, long Euphrates, and th- when was it shot, what color was it, and then we turn it into intel, and then they try and crack a code, decipher a code. And so we was talking to Doc and telling him, like, you know, like, hey, man, this was – no, he's like, I know, I was listening to it on that. That was crazy. <clears throat> and so I <clears throat> I can barely keep my eyes open at this point. Drilling's worn off. And as you know, series of high highs, series of low lows, no gray area. That's what being a grunt is and being a warfighter is. And so I told Doc, I got to bed down and smoked. He said, go bed down, no worries, man. And uh, so I go and take my boots off and I'm I'm so tired I take my boots off and lay on my cot in Iraq being Iraq especially in 04 not even 20 minutes later I mean my dogs didn't even start to breathe react and I'm like hey Murphy you're a dick you know it was like if that's the way Murphy works <laughs> dude not a fan not a fan of, of that Murphy and so yeah, I wake up and I'm like, all right, got to wake up, team. So I rub rub their backs and whisper sweet nothings in their ear because that's how we do it. And we, these guys, they're all pissed. Like, you know, this is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> like, hey man, it's because it's it's the paycheck. That's why we do it. <laughs> but I, what was the call that came in? What they what was going down? It was um, 
I think it was someone in our someone had gotten in the AO wasn't supposed to be in the AO and you know neutralized threat type thing and I so I get up and I'm I'm carrying I think I slide my my boots on any time yet and I walk out of the tent as soon as I walk out of the tent that feeling I had in my gut went right in my throat <clears throat> rose right into my throat and I knew we're about to get hit I knew. As sure as I was that the sun was going to come up, I knew we were going to get hit. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. I didn't know by what. I didn't know to the extent, but I knew it was going to happen. And so I, by the, I took measures and did things that I otherwise wouldn't have done. And you I mean you can call it my grandfather talked to me from beyond the grave. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you want. And good news is is that I can have my beliefs and you can have yours and. Odds are we're not going to get our heads cut off because we live in a free society. And so I, my commanding officer was out there to do a report on what had went down the night before. He was sleeping. And, but I knew he had a bomb blanket. And so I took the bomb blanket out of the passenger seat of the one of the only up-armored Humvees we had at the time. And I went to the lead vehicle, and I told the driver scoot over the lead vehicles to this day a, a great friend of mine put the bomb blanket down i told the guys button up you know, they gave it to us for protection but put it on now which i usually wasn't real hardcore about just because when it's 120 something degrees and you you have all that gear on more gear is not optimal to the whole being comfortable thing and um <clears throat> i mean i'm sure the guys knew something was up then I take the radio from the RO, and uh, everything's buttoned up. You know, flak jacket, Kevlar, Wiley X's, shatterproof. That that they should have said kind of shatterproof. And then um, it's you know the growing protector. They gave it. We had it on. And so I I get on the the horn with my right arm. I'm driving with my left. I gassed it, and um, so you're driving. I'm driving. I'm driving, and uh, just because I and you would put the bomb blanket under the under, under the, the driver's seat. Got it. And so I don't know. It was just reaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was something was guiding me to do all these mm-hmm. things. You know, I'm not. I can't tell you what the lotto numbers are. Like, I can't tell. I'm. I don't have ESP. ESP. I'm not a fortune teller. Like something was guiding me to do these things. And you just put that bomb blanket under there just because you it did. Just because something right. told me put it in the driver's seat and get in the driver's seat. Take the radio. I did all these things. I punch it. Three minutes later, we had a triple stack. Pressure plate ignited. So three three one five five Mike Mike's. In layman's terms, what that means is the big ass bomb. Yeah. That's about, what, 75 pounds of explosives? It's a lot. It's freaking big. Blew up directly beneath me. Blew me about 30 feet to the top of the Humvee. Stuck the landing with my head. Because, again, Marines believe in good form. And um, I like to say because God's a comedian. I never lost consciousness. I never went into shock. I remember the whole thing. Took the Black Hawk 42 minutes to come get me. So I love to look at people when they're like, oh, it's such a long day at work today. I'm like, really? <laughs> Hold on, let me throw some perspective your way. <laughs> but that's um, only when I'm in a bad mood. But I, it was, uh, I knew midair, it was bad. I knew it was bad. 
I knew this was not good at all. And when I hit the deck, I couldn't breathe because the, um, as you know, this, this series of events and explosion, a million things happen in a nanosecond, especially when it's that big of an explosion. And so it was when the dashboard disengaged and the steering wheel hit me in my chest and it, it exploded all my mags, hit me in my chest, and t- temporary collapsed both my lungs before I was blown out. A whole series of things happened before, during this process, causing injuries. And and um, I hit the deck, and <clears throat> I knew I'm hurt bad. I can't breathe, can't hear anything. It's just ringing. And first thing I do is talk to God. I mean, the first thing I did before I even did self-assessment is to talk to guys I can't see out of my right eye, thanks to the shatterproof Wally access. But I... Because they shattered both of them, by the way. Yeah, there's there's something called a triple stacked IED. I don't know what glass is going to hang with that. Man. Well, I'm saying, hey, listen, man, false advertisement, right? <laughs> got so it, it, got it. Sure. But yeah. we, um, I mean, they're a great company. I'm just, you know, got to find light in every situation. But we, but I talked to God right away. And this is exactly what I said. Hey, big man. I know this is bad. All I'm asking is that you don't take me in front of my family. That's all I'm asking. Don't let my brothers watch me die. As soon as the kids leave the deck, I'm all yours. Just please don't let my brothers watch me die. That's all I cared about. And I started the self-assessment, which starts with checking your junk. The only thing that worked was my right arm. Everything else was shattered or broken. Come to find out all my ribs are broken. That didn't help anything. And um, so I go, I, I move my growing flap and check my junk, and I was like, okay, that's there. Everything else is bandaidable. Like, we're. We'll work through. We will survive. <laughs> and, um, but then I looked at my, uh, my right leg looked normal, but my right, but my right foot and ankle hurt really bad. So it's like, okay, it's probably broken. Well, I didn't know it was crushed. It was the firewall and the Humvee folded up, crushed my right foot before I was blown out. My left, I looked at my left arm, and I remember seeing, like, daylight through my left arm. Part of my left hand was hanging down by my elbow. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, that's, might not, might not keep the left arm. And I looked down at my left leg, which was turned outward. Like, if you're sitting down with both legs like you're going to touch your toes, my left leg was turned outward to the left, and my foot was inverted, like, with my toes pointing at me. And my boot was blown off. But my, but everything was there. It was all over the place, but it was there. So I saw my fibula, my tibia, saw all the damage that was done to my left leg because my, my camis were shredded. And I, I thought two things when I saw that. First thing I thought was, that's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> second thing i thought was that that was confirmation that that was a very big explosion to be able to blow a laced up combat boot off your leg and not take your leg with it is a massive explosion it's crazy and so at this point i'm thinking how was the yeah guy in the guy in the passenger blown eardrums was the other worst injury man so it literally blew up Straight up. Directly beneath me. Yeah, straight and straight up. They must have had it buried a little bit enough that it 
<clears throat> just projected right up into you. Yeah. And it was <clears throat> so that standoff we had the night before. It's when they buried it. So all that was was a diversion. Because everyone was glued to the radios. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, and it was in a perfect spot. It was the one spot uh, around that entire area of operation that you couldn't have eyes directly on. The one spot. Yeah. And so at this point, the guys finally make it up to me. And they're really, there's a lot of uh, freaking out. Cause I mean, I, did the Humvee move? Oh yeah, it was blown. So did it get blown up? Yeah, but it was. I'll tell you this: if we were in an up armored Humvee, every one of us would be dead from overpressure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There'd have been nowhere for it to go. Everyone would have died. It would have been, but it was blown up and over to the right, mm-hmm. and um, second vehicle wasn't affected. Um, but the guys run up to me. At this point, I'm back to telling God, like, hey, man, just remember our deal. Just remember our deal. And um, the guys are like, hey, Shik, we got you, bro. We got you. You know, we got you. Hang tough. And out of nowhere, I was able to take a breath. And the first thing I said was develop 360. And they were like, oh, shit, yeah. It's like, Yeah. No yeah, shit. What's coming next? Yeah. Uh, how do we know we're not start, <laughs> about to start taking fire? Which probably was was unlikely because there was no cover in that. I mean, there would have been nowhere for them to hide. It and it would have been a suicide mission on their part because um, we had one still very functional two forty, and we knew how to employ that weapon. But they get me back on the uh, second vehicle, which was like I said, still operational, and get me back up to the command post and. Man, it, and little did I know that that's that at that moment that's when my battle, my personal war started, right then that day. And I get up there and um, Doc, same Doc that I was talking to, that was in the the Humvee uh, counting the flares, was working on me. And uh, <laughs> I was I was yell I was pissed. I was not happy. And I was yelling at Doc, and I was like, Doc, you got to hit me. You got to hit me. And he was like, I already did. And so I'm like, you're, I was like, you're, you're a stingy bastard. Because he only would hit me with two sticks of morphine, and I knew he had more. And all I knew was I was in a lot of pain. He had the remedy, and he wasn't giving it to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's, that's kind of bullshit. You know, I didn't understand yeah. that the muscles around my lungs could relax so much that I suffocate. I didn't know. Didn't care. Just knew I was in a lot of pain. He had drugs, and he was not giving them to me. Little did I know, the guy was you know, the the tip of the spear and uh, saving my life. And um, while this whole situation was really gnarly and very painful and very, very humbling, I wouldn't trade it at all because I got to tell every one of those guys, every single one of them, how it was just like talking to my dad but I was talking to my brothers I just got to tell every one of them how much I loved them how much they meant to me how much I respected them and that this is real what we're doing is real look at me look at me and remember this and go fight your balls off 
because this is what they want to do to every one of us. Don't let it happen again. Just just learn from this. You have to fight for me now. And that was, you know, it was a situation where, and they kept telling me, and they kept telling me, uh, you know, hey, Shik, this is your bird home. It's your bird home. And it would piss me off every time they said it. Mm-hmm. It was like, I don't want to go home. Shut up. I don't want to go home. Shik, you get to go see your family. You are my family. I, I'll see them when it's time to see them. You know, it was that. So there's this whole series of thoughts and emotions and, uh, you know, I mean, it was everything from laughing and crying to everything in between to laughing again. And they were scrambling to get the the uh, medevac there. And the problem was that we didn't have any fighter escorts. And it took forever mm-hmm. because they were all dispatched. So four. I mean, they they were all scrambled. And so it was... Finally, it was a uh, Texas Army Nash- Air National Guard pilot that heard the transmission that, you know, this Marine out of Texas, Category 4, rapidly approaching Category 5. So Category 4 is urgent surgery, Category 5 being expectant. And um, he finally got his crew and said, I, screw the rules, we're going to get this Marine. And he, he loaded, he came and got me. And... um I remember when the guys were loading me on the Black Hawk, and my platoon sergeant was the last one on. And um, man, that was that was a that was an emotional experience, dude. Because it was anyway. Platoon sergeant son, and he kisses me on my forehead, and he says, "We'll see you soon, Jack London." Because he always called me Jack London because my first generation Marines Jack London Chick, second generation is Jack London Chick Junior. So he always called me Jack London because I guess Jake wasn't good enough. But he, but when he said it, he was trying not to cry, and I could tell in his eyes he was lying, which kind of motivated me. And I was like, "Well, I'll show you. I'm going to prove you wrong, and you are going to see me again, even though it wasn't my choice, right?" And so they. The bird takes off, man, and um, out of everything I've been through from day one to now, that was the hardest moment. Hands down, no questions asked, was leaving those guys. Hands down, that was the hardest moment because that's when I was taught just how human I am and just how irrelevant I am. And it was um, a very, very hard experience to leave my family in harm's way, and there wasn't a damn thing I could do about it. You talk about being humbled. That will humble you. And we get up in the in the air, and I'm able, <clears throat> I'm able to get the attention of one of the litter crews, a young dude, I mean, again, I'm 21. He was probably 18, 19, but military years, that's eons. And he comes up, and he gets right, he puts his left ear right in front of my face. And I yelled as loud as I could, because as you know, on the back of one of those birds, you don't have a headset on, you can't hear shit. Mm-hmm. And I yelled as hard as I could, how long? And I remember when I did it, like, I felt life leave my body. I knew I was dying. Did they tourniquet you already? The doc tourniquet yeah, you? Yeah, over and over. Yeah. I mean, I was bleeding everywhere. Yeah. And it, so, did you have did you have shrapnel wounds? Yeah. So it was not just 
your leg and your yeah, arm. No, I'd you're bleeding out everywhere. Yeah, I had a trauma on my my chin, side of my face, my my neck. Um, every I mean, right arm, left arm, left leg. It was it was bad, <clears throat> and um, had I not had that sappy plate in my flak, I'd have been dead. There was a big a piece of. There was a piece sticking out that was bigger than this K-bar, sticking out right out of the center. And my gunny took pictures of my gear, Damn. showing guys like, hey, no matter how uncomfortable you are, this is why you don't cut corners. Yeah. And um, But this dude on the litter crew radios up front to the captain, and he comes back, and he yells in my right ear, 12 mics, as loud as he can, or 12 minutes. And so I was, I immediately talked to God again, right away. My a big man. I'm gonna have to renege on that original verbal agreement because I'm pretty sure I can do 12 more minutes. <laughs> and um, the, obviously he, you know, he gave me that because I'm talking to you. But um, we go, we landed at, in Balad, which is just a makeshift field hospital at the mm-hmm. time. I'm sure you remember from seeing it in 04, but it was. And they pulled me off the bird and immediately, immediately started working on me. I mean, and it was, I was not happy about this situation because they kept saying name, rank, social, name, rank, social, name, rank, social, because they wanted me alert and yep. aware, you know. And I knew what they were doing. And I was like, but it's like if you slam your finger in the door, right? And your buddy's right there and he's like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And every time they say it, the pain goes up. Mm. Like, I would be golden if you would just shut your yapper, you know? And so I just yelled finally and pointed with my right arm. It was the only thing that worked. was that, hey, it's tattooed right there on my ribs. I'm done talking. Like, I'm going to show them, right? <laughs> and I didn't. And so I didn't talk again until they get me in the tent. And um, they they loaded me up with some, with some of the good shit because I felt it definitely helped the pain. But I was still in massive amounts of pain. And I'll never forget one of the surgeons was slowing up my face, and he said, oops. And I looked at it, I was like, hey, what do you mean, oops, Doc? <laughs> and he's like, hey, sorry, Marine, I dicked up on your stitches. I'm going to have to start again. And I said, hey, Doc, at this point I have the sheet up to my neck. And I, was just, I said, hey, Doc, I don't know if you've seen seen my body from the neck down, but I'm fairly certain the scratches on my face are the least of our worries. And I think he had the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's just knocked me out at that moment because uh, I don't, that's the last thing I remember until I was woken up by Nurse Jax, who uh, she had told me. She woke me up, and, you know, I'm coming out of the OR. And um, and that's still in Balad? Yeah. And she says, um, hey, Marine, I'm sorry to tell you this. We had to take your right foot. It was dead when you got here. There's no blood flow. And it was crushed. And I remember thinking to myself, like, shit they took the wrong foot because it was my left one that was really messed up and so then i think like you know it's good enough for government work right (laughs) whatever (laughs) and i'm just it's it's blood it's i'm just like you know and a long day just got longer so you're completely contorted and twisted and backwards left foot was was the one that made it yeah and the one that looked pretty normal to you look completely normal with my boot on Mm. look everything normal but then she described it to me. She she said, "When we, when you got here, imagine like a surgical glove, but in the shape of a foot as opposed to a hand, being filled with sand. That was your right foot. 
She said everything. It was everything, and it was completely crushed. There was it was to the point to where there was it cut off the blood supply, and so somehow none of my major arteries in my left arm or left leg got hit, and so there was still hope for my left leg and my left arm. But um, she ended up. We ended up loading up um, on the bird to go to Germany, and she flew with me to Germany because I was, I I was not out of the woods by any stretch. It was going to be a, this was going to be a long and arduous recovery process. And I remember getting to um, Germany. Or no, I'm sorry. Before we left, this was four days after I talked to my my dad. So I called my dad from the sat phone they had given me and my dad answered the phone and um i said hey pop and he said why am i talking to you i said they got me he said what do you mean they got me i said they got me dad and i'm hurt he said how bad are you hurt so they'd take my right foot and there was a pause and then he said are you gonna make it and i said i don't know he said, we're waiting for Sergeant Green, and, you know, we'll meet you in Germany. And at this point, man, I'm I'm that four-year-old kid again that just needs his dad. And I, I, the last thing I told him was, I'm, was I love him. But right then I said, please hurry. And he said, you're going to be all right. I love you. I love you too. And that was the hardest phone call I've ever made in my life because I just see him at my high school graduation saying, why would you do that? And I'm like, damn it. You know, damn it. He may have had something there. Like, and I'm still thinking like a young, immature kid. Mm-hmm. But I knew one thing. I wanted my dad. And so I get to Germany, and um, one of my best friends from high school, his little brother, who was like my little brother growing up, was in the Army. and um, He was a scout. And he was there in Germany and was able to get word that I was on my way. And he was right there when the ambulance doors opened. And he put his head on my chest and he lost it. Started bawling. And I just remember telling him, it's all right, Josh, it's all right, man. And, um, you know, he just kept saying, not you, not you, not you. And he wouldn't leave my side, you know, but he had a cell phone and I got to call other people and, even when they were trying to take me to the OR to wash me out and reset my left leg and left arm and redo the uh, the external fixators, he was like, he's walking right next to the bed like he's going into the OR with me. And I remember them saying, like, so you can't come. And he was like, the hell I can't. What are you? And I was like, oh, you can't, dude. Like, just come on, man. They don't have enough drugs for both of us. <laughs> so that's. But he was, it was just, it goes to show you, man. Like, it's, there were so many experiences throughout this process that just reassured me of how very real that something bigger than us out there is you know that there you know I was a believer growing up man but this was there was things that happened that no one could explain that had to be from a higher power and that was just one of them one of those moments where I was that was a part of me living was Josh being there and me not having to be alone in that situation. So I ended up leaving Germany and I was on, I was only there for, I, mean, I wasn't even there a full day before they sent me to Bethesda. 
and um i i lent because my family was supposed to meet me in germany but the turnaround was so fast Mm -hmm. that the you know the marines were like no we're just gonna send you to bethesda Mm -hmm. and i got to bethesda and um man those flights both flights from iraq to germany germany to bethesda every little like bit of turbulence every little bump every little movement was like being blown up all over again it was gnarly because your your body was under was in so much pain it was just i'd never puked so much because of pain in my life and it was one of those things where i was again every little jar every movement was just like you're as human as they come like there's nothing special about you this is not going to get easier and i remember the getting there and they're waiting over by the emergency entrance and the doors open and of course the, you know the liaison i told my family like hey jake's on the runway they just touched down and my dad is there and i'm sure i looked amazing uh, my head was probably the size of a watermelon and i was black and blue and purple and, and i'm sure i smelled amazing too and my dad put his hand on my chest and he said bubba is that you and all I could get out was get your damn hand off my chest because all my ribs were broken and it hurt like hell. <laughs> and he looks at my family and goes, yep, that's Jake. That's Jake. And so they load, they're load. they rolling me on the gurney and this, this young sailor's pushing me. And I remember every little, like in the grout that separates tiles, like every little bump, it was like getting blown up again. And it would just make, it would take my pain from six to as much as you could think in the snap of i mean it was gnarly and so i remember (laughs) he's going to push me on the elevator to take me down to the icu and you know the big gap that separates the floor and the elevator well he goes across that and we're in the big elevator where they take the gurneys take the patients on gurneys and so my, my family's in there with us and he goes across that bump man this dude is so young and just he was the epitome of a boot and so he goes across that gap and i knife i knife hand him with my right hand and i look up and i say if you do that again i'm gonna take you out (laughs) and my dad laughs and looks at the family like he's gonna be okay you know and um like the dude's meaning to hit gaps right it's just you know the the problem was is i was never trained to be a severely wounded marine it wasn't in the handbook and so i didn't know what the hell to do and um let's just get this out of the way i was never a good patient ever not one time it was something that i just didn't have in me all i knew to do was to be a dick and fight like hell and when i fight like hell it's i'm usually a dick that was my survival mechanism. Now, were you just like angry? Were you angry, angry. that you were hurt and pissed off that you were your uh, leg was gone and you're like just pissed? And so every nurse is you're pissed at. I'm not mad. Listen, I'm, I'm not angry that my leg's gone. I'm not angry. I'm angry. I'm talking about the, at that time. At that time, I'm not angry that my leg's gone. Okay. I'm not angry. I never did the why me. I never not to this day. Not don't have. I don't believe in that. I'm angry because my family is back in a godforsaken land fighting and there and here I am sucking up oxygen in a in a hospital bed that's why I'm angry mm-hmm. I'm pissed off at god cuz it's like hey you had a perfectly good chance perfectly good chance 
And you, what the hell? You know, what the hell? That's, I mean, what am I supposed to do right from here? Right now, what am I doing? I'm, I'm doing no good. None. That's why I was angry. And I was angry because I could not contribute to what I was trained to contribute to with with my brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, they were there, and I was back home in an air-conditioned room with a bunch of people waiting on me hand and foot. Pun totally intended. Like, that... <laughs> You know, that's why I was pissed. Mm-hmm. No, no, they couldn't understand that. Yeah. And I and I don't blame them for that to this day. I don't blame them for that. But it was, um, you know, before we, we had a lot of guys getting hurt, a lot of guys getting wounded. And, I mean, the hospital was full of guys. I wasn't no different. I wasn't special. I wasn't any better or worse. Or I was just a guy who had a bad day at work. So what are they doing? What are you going through at this point? You know, obviously you're, you're going through surgery upon Man, surgery. Dude, upon- it was gnarly. Yeah, I mean, it was every, for the first two and a half, I guess, months I was home, I was in the OR every 48 to 72 hours. And some of those operations were like 18, 19, 20-hour operations. And they're piecing you back together. Yeah, man. Robin for Peter, give to Paul to try and save my left leg and my left arm. and set and stuff. It was crazy. Crazy, crazy. How many surgeries did you have? Stateside, I had 46. And I had 23 blood transfusions. I've had a couple surgeries. I had a neck surgery and I had a hernia surgery. So when when I got those surgeries, right, like you just feel like complete crap. So you're just going through that every, just like almost on a permanent level. Yeah. The anesthesia, the blood loss, all that stuff. It's just a, it's just it's <laughs> wake up, suck, go to bed, repeat. And it was nothing. There was nothing fun about any of it. And um, I mean, it was so bad that it was. Like the nurses at the nurse station, the night nurses, I'll never forget. And it happened every night. They they would do paper, rock, scissors to see who had to take my chart. It was that bad. And it, it, God forbid a psychologist walk in my room. <laughs> God forbid. It was because I, I had nothing to say to those. So I'm, I'm kind of, I just realized I laughed at this, right? And we're, And you're telling it in a funny way. Because you're like, hey, I was a bad patient. But uh, the point I was getting at before, like why you were angry, but you, like we're we're laughing about it right now. But you're not kidding. Like this, like you were p- fucking pissed, right? Yeah. And when someone come in, you'd be like, ah, you know, get that off me. I don't want to, you know, what you that like just aggro with people. So I, I had this, this is the rule that I had as a patient. You're not allowed in my room. Unless we share DNA or you're a United States Marine. And that goes for the president on down. I don't give a shit what your title is or who you are. Those are the rules. If you don't have the same DNA as me and you're not a United States Marine, don't come in my room. Because I'm going to let you know you're not allowed. And that was because I'm in survival mode. Mm-hmm. I'm in survival mode. And I didn't know what that looked like. I was making it up as I got, as I went. And I mean, it was... Didn't matter what surgeon was talking to me, what professional with a bunch of letters after his or her name. I didn't care. I did not care. Because my mindset was, is like, I'm trying to figure out how to get to the next breath. 
in the least painful way as possible. And it was something that it was, um, like I said, I went from being one of the most, a part of one of the most elite fighting forces known to mankind to not being able to use the bathroom on my own. I was in a hospital bed for months. Overnight. I mean, at the drop of a hat. That's not humble pie. That's in hell in the factory. Knowing that my guys, I knew Fallujah, we were already drawing the war plan, war plan for Fallujah. And so it's like, here I am. And not broken, I hate that terminology. But here I am, completely fractured. And these guys are hooking and jabbing. And they're asking me what kind of what color Jello I want, and it's like I don't need to, I don't need to eat. I need to get through the next minute, and then the minute after that, I get, and nothing else matters. Nothing. I just need to survive, second by second, minute by minute, breath by breath, and continue to believe I'm worth this thing called life. I need to keep fighting. And a byproduct of that is that I was a giant dick. But I kept fighting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't pretty. But I kept fighting. And how long were you in Bethesda for? So I'm only in Bethesda a few months. And then they uh, moved me. Matter of fact, my, my, my dad goes to uh, Walter Reed. And then he comes back and he says, yo, Jake, this is your deal. And let me back up a bit. My dad and my brother are both pretty squeamish, like when it comes to blood and stuff like that. Like, they just don't do well with it. My dad, who was an executive banker, just retired last year, an executive banker, started as a window teller at a bank. He worked his way up, did not leave my bedside for 62 days. Didn't leave my side, no matter how hard I was on him, or it did not leave my side. And I like to say that if had it not been for this explosion, I would not be nearly as close to my. You can't. I don't think I could possibly be closer to my dad as I am now, or my brother. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Same relationship that before just didn't. We just didn't have it. And I think it was because there was always that alpha struggle. Whereas it had to take one of the alphas having a thumb war with the Grim Reaper for everyone to say, what the hell are we doing? And why are we doing it? And that's why, I, just one of the reasons, I wouldn't trade it. Because that, that's beautiful, man. And I got to experience something that a lot of people don't get to experience. That they die wondering, did I say everything I needed to say? Did I love as hard as I needed to love? I don't have to wonder about that now, and neither do they. Love and be loved. Everything else is filler. So that's why I would not trade it. But I remember my dad telling me with my left arm one night, they they were telling me, okay, Jake, you know, we have this, we have to reconstruct your left arm, and the bottom graft took the first time, but the top graft didn't take. And the second time they tried doing it, I remember they. I woke up while they were cutting the graft off. And um, <laughs> that was a gnarly experience. But I was awake for like literally 0.5 seconds before they knocked me back out. 
And uh, did you hit anybody in that point five seconds? I try to hit people all the time. <laughs> I think it was stupid. I mean, I messed up stitches and staples and stuff all the time. And I took I took my own out all the time. I got how, in trouble for how that drugged up are you during this time, dude? I was on enough drugs to like kill a herd of elephants. Because everybody's body reacts differently mm-hmm. to drugs, right? Either you're, they accept them and it doesn't take a lot. Well, mine fights everything. You know what I mean? Which is not surprising. But my, it takes, if it takes you or you one pill, it's going to take me five. And so every operation I had, because these were major, I mean, these were intrusive operations. These yeah. weren't like, hey, we're going to go and take the staples out of the. No, these were, we're going in, cutting you back open, and we're going to power wash this part of your body out. And I mean, they were intrusive operations. We're going to go and take skin from this part of your body and put it on this other part of your body. Mm-hmm. And so, or we're going to take this bone out here, and we're going to try and graft it over there. And so <clears throat> it was one of those things where I knew, like, okay, these are some serious things where for six months to a year like i didn't know if i was going to keep my left leg or my left arm because they they were i was going through all these operations to save these two appendages that were and for all intents and purposes i was a guinea pig for a lot of stuff which i'm okay with it was better me than my brothers i'm all right with that small price to pay and be one of the world's finest right and so they i remember the night before um, I had this major operation on my left arm and this was when the graft didn't take the second one and they were doing a bone graft and uh, they amputated my right leg again to take some of the tibia from my right leg to try and graft it in my left arm because five inches of my ulna and my left arm was blown out. And uh, my dad asked the doc, I'll never forget it. He said, hey, doc, how'd you sleep the next morning? And he said, I didn't. My dad said, well, why, why didn't you sleep? I said, because I did Jake's operation about a thousand times in my head. And my dad was like, okay, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> and then um, he, I remember him asking me, hey, hey Schick, do you, do you mind if we amputate your fourth digit on your left hand? Because I don't think it's going to be of any use to you. And because my metacarpal was blown out from my ring finger, I said, if I wake up and there's anything else cut off my body, don't be on the right side of my bed because I will choke you out in front of God and everybody. <laughs> and he, he, he being, knowing me all too well at the, at the time, said, all right, I'm going to take that as a no. And uh, everybody got a good laugh, and then they knocked me out again. But um, so that graft didn't take. Uh, and they knocked me back out. Then they call on a specialist. And so what they had to do was put me in an induced coma and cut my abdomen open and then put my left arm in my abdomen and then sewed my abdomen shut to grow skin over my left arm. Mm-hmm. So, so my Interestingly, same uh, Lou, Lou Poehler Jr. had the same because he had severely uh, got his hands jacked up and they did the same thing multiple times to him. Yeah, and it's, you know, who, who would have thought that's a thing, mm. you know? And then they, so my dad and I had this thing where I would wake up every morning because he was always there during the day then someone else would come at night and so i would say you know hey dad it's you know monday april 16th whatever and just to make sure i still had somewhat 
reliable cognitive function <laughs> functions going on, you know, and I'm trying to exercise my frontal lobes as much as I can, making sure these executive functions are still working the way they are because I was already told, you've got post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, which I was like, whatever. You know, that's made-up stuff by people in white coats with too much time on their hands. That will not affect me. I'm, I'm a Marine. No. And um, so I'm coming out of this uh, <laughs> this coma, and I'm that was the first time that I, my, my brother came in for the first time and I remember he, he came in and, uh, I could see cause what sucked was, was early on in the induced coma. Like I could be alert, but I couldn't obviously couldn't say anything cause I was intubated. So I had a machine breathing for me. I was completely paralyzed from the neck down, couldn't move anything. And it only lasted for, they only did it for a day or so because it was so gnarly that my, my BP and everything would freak out. My blood pressure would go up and I would see someone in my family because I felt like I was trapped in my own, I'm a prisoner in my body. Somebody get me the hell out so of here. So you're in an induced is. coma. You can't move. You can't talk. Nothing. And yet you're conscious. Yeah. Isn't the purpose of being in an induced coma to right. be so, unconscious? Right. So they, they, this is just prior to them inducing the coma. Oh, okay. And so it was just before it, but my, then my brother came in, and it was the first time that my brother had been able to see me. He was in college at the time and playing ball. And my brother came in and sat down in the chair. So, well, first when he goes to walk in and I see him come in the door in the ICU and he leaves. He, he like, took a half step in, he turned around, and he bolted. And this is the queasiness factor? No, I think this was, no, I think it, for him, it was an emotion. Okay. He didn't want to be emotional and me know he was emotional, which Got I knew it. exactly why I had to leave the room. So it's like, it's obsolete. Might as well just come all the way in. I know what you're doing. And so, but then he comes back in and he sits down in the chair on the right side of my bed and he grabs my right hand and he puts his, his forehead on my hand and he just, Starts crying. He just starts repeating over and over again. Thank you for not dying. Thank you for not dying. And I was like, dude, any anytime you want to shut up about that, like it would be awesome. Because it was getting. I mean, it was getting to me, right? Yeah. So my BP started going up, and they're like, hey, you gotta leave. Like you can't stay in here. So then they realized, like, okay, we gotta we gotta knock them out. Yeah. And because they tried taping the window so I couldn't see, but then it just was too much. And so they, that's when they completely put me in, in the coma. And you know, that was for, it was like 30 days or something. And I remember coming out of it and telling my dad, like, Wait, induced coma was for 30 days? Yeah. Holy shit. To grow that around my arm. And so they cut it out and then it took. Thankfully, it was, it did, that was the last resort for my left arm. Because if that didn't take, they were going to have to amputate below my elbow. But then my dad wakes, or I wake up, I'm coming out of it, I look at my dad, my dad, it's Monday, April 16th. He's like, well, no, it's, uh, what had happened was. <laughs> and then I'm like, did no one want to run this by me? He was like, no, they figured you'd be against it. So it's like, whatever, shit. Just uh, put it on my tab. You know, it's like... <laughs> But I remember my dad going over to Walter Reed's. It was time. My dad told them, like, hey, listen, I can afford to fly up here and see my son every week. But most of his family, because I'm still not out of the woods, most of his family can't afford to come to Maryland from Louisiana or Texas to come you know, see him often. 
And so he goes to Walter Reed and was like, came back and he told me, he said, Bub, this is your deal. This is, but no son of mine is going to go to that hospital. I said, well, I mean, obviously I'm going to have to take your word for it. It's not like I can skip over there and go check it out. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, well, we had a friend that worked at the Pentagon who was a uh, one star and my dad, my stepmom contacted him and just said, hey, listen, we got to get Jay closer to home. And so I actually went to, they sent me to Bamsey in San Antonio and, um, I like to say that accounts for 50% of my post-traumatic stress because I was the only Marine at Army facility. <laughs> and sorry, I'm not sorry about that, but it was a great hospital that, you know, they did just as good work as Bethesda. And, um, you know, but when they, when they shipped me, <clears throat> they moved me way too soon. I mean, I just, my body wasn't ready for it. And we had to stop and I believe it was called Scott Air Force Base in Illinois. Were you flying? Yeah. I'm a bird. Mm-hmm. So we stop in Scott, and um, I guess we didn't know that we were stopping. And I had only had enough enough medications in my nerve blockers for set amount of time to get mm-hmm. to San Antonio. Well, that stuff was they wanted to do a little layover. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm pissed. <laughs> I wake up when we're, when we're there, and this gunny walks up to me. He's like, "Hey." Hey, Corporal Shake, yeah, welcome to Scott Air Force Base. I'm Gunny Schmuckatelli. And I was, I, I'm like, where the hell is Scott Air Force Base and who the hell are you? And because my, my tact at this point has gone way out the window. <laughs> did not matter your rank. Like, did not matter. And because I'm at the point where I'm like, what are they going to do? Shave my head and send me to Iraq? Like, <laughs> please you'd be doing me a favor but so i'm pissed and i call my dad and i'm like i don't know who fucked this up but i need you to unfuck it right now and he got pissed that i was pissed at him something was out of his control you know and he was like jake i'm fine go back to go back to bethesda i don't care but you know and it was you know i i (laughs) i i was owed that and a lot more and so uh, they get me in the hospital and and my buddy just starts to shut down and so next thing, Wait, this is in the hospital in Scott. It's or Scott. This is, you, okay, and this is damn. not like a major. So hospital. they did like a legit. La- they stopped. Stopped. Like f- so. Then it's a delay for me to even go to San Antonio because they got to get you to recover, kind of. Yeah. And so that series of events happens there, which was crazy. So I, I go into this <clears throat> shock effect where you know, I'm, I'm unconscious, and uh, this is another one of those moments where the higher power thing. I'm coming out of it, and uh, my, my left head, my, my turns, my head's turned to my left, and the door to my room opens. I knew whoever was about to walk in the door. Like I just felt like a a spiritual presence. Like I just felt I knew whoever that was was a person of faith, like a person of God. Knew it, knew no doubt about it. Felt it when the door opened. The dude comes around the, the corner introduce himself and it's the base chaplain and i was like okay well that's that's that and uh and he said hey i'm i'm chaplain so and i said i knew i knew before you even before i saw you as soon as the door opened like i felt i felt the presence of 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 a higher being like i felt it i knew it and like this really 
of like he you could tell he was moved by it you know i wasn't saying it to blow smoke up his ass i just knew the dude was a man of god and i mean it would again can't explain it it's where the whole thing the whole word faith comes in look it up sometime you gotta utilize it but the um so then he walks in and starts talking to me so we have this long conversation of which i can't remember most of the next the next day is when i'm leaving and he brings his whole family he had like like four or five kids and his he brought his wife and uh, all the nurses and i mean <laughs> the airmen and the reserve marines and army guys like made this line on either side of the back door to the bird and it was like <laughs> like i don't rate what you guys are doing but appreciate it <laughs> like i can dig it right but i didn't i was just thinking like it's a little much but thank you you know and it was but it was like you know who the hell am i to take away from their right to honor the, their brethren like you know who am i mm-hmm. to do that they're just showing love all the way not halfway and, I, and so of course me being me at the time I, I didn't look at it that way i was just like i'm naked in front of everyone type feeling i'm just uncomfortable right now and so they they load me up and we fly from um scott to we're going to bamsey and we stop over and oh oh it was, it was el paso mm-hmm. and on the way i can see the the loadmaster mouth to one of the other one of the other crewmen we're about to fly around a tornado i read his lips and i'm like <laughs> hey god like, come on, man. <laughs> Throw a dude a bone. Like, we're about, I'm going to survive all the stuff I've survived. And if you let me get taken out by a tornado, like, we're, we're going to be fighting. <laughs> this is bullshit. But I'm just thinking, like, Murphy, back off, bro. Just back off. But it's just this, these little moments where you find light in these heavy situations. And I didn't know that we were stopping in El Paso. We stopped in El Paso, and I'm pissed. Why are we stopping? And why aren't we in San Antonio? Well, because we had to drop off someone who was KIA, and they're just returning the body. And I was like, okay, I'm a major dick. I get it. <laughs> you know, it was like, well, shit. Could you have told me that? And they probably did tell me. But I'm on so many drugs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to remember about point two seconds of an hour conversation I had with you. So we get to San Antonio again. My body, it was bad. I mean, my body does the same thing it did at Scott. And then next thing I know, I'm in the ICU again and out of the OR. And I end up doing 15 months in, in Bamsey. And, um, man, every operation, it was just more drugs, more drugs, more drugs, more drugs. And a series of events happens at Bamsey. I'm the only Marine there, which I stated and it was bad because, I mean, you can only call a Marine a soldier so many times before I'm going to let you know that that bothers me. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to be a soldier, I would have joined the freaking Army. Stop calling me a soldier. It's just a Marine thing. It's a pride thing. Absolutely a freaking pride thing. If you don't like it, would you would you call Chesty Puller a soldier? Because if you would, you're ignorant. And my thing was, is like, just utilize some tact. And so they ended up putting the the EGA, the Marine Corps seal, on my door, and let, just to let people know, a little heads up. Yeah, 
Same rules, though. You don't share my DNA, and you're not a United States Marine. Don't come in my room. Still. So I didn't meet. <laughs> I missed I missed out on meeting a lot of, quote, unquote, famous people and and politicians that I'm sure are there because they care and a bunch of other people. And it was because of that rule. And then the Secretary of the Army, or the, the Surgeon General, I'm sorry, Surgeon General was coming. And they were like, Corporal Schick, we really, you know, we need you to wake up and shave. And you're going to come see the Surgeon General. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Obviously, I didn't. And so I have people coming up to my room and they're like, Corporal Schick, the Surgeon General is downstairs. You were supposed to be in your electric wheelchair down there meeting him. And I'm like, what part of my face says I give a shit (laughs) that they're here? I don't even know if it's a man or a woman, and I don't care. If they want to see me, you know where my room is. Do I go to his or her office and say, hey, I'm going to need you downstairs because I'm coming? No. No, I don't. They're a person just like me. Except they prob- something tells me their pain level is probably not where mine is right now. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to shave either. So you can just just eat a whole bag of dicks because I don't care. <laughs> and so it was again, great patient, a really really good patient. So you're the drugs at this point that they're putting you on Massive. It's all kind of painkillers. Massive. And do you even is there any point where you re- start realizing like, oh, I'm not going to be okay without these things? I want them nope, all the time. Not once. So, so no, at this point, no. So you're just thinking that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, I'm I'm badly wounded. I need painkillers. Part of the game. Yeah, right. Part of the game. And so I, at this point, I'm think I have. This is probably Operation like thirty five, thirty six, and it's so bad that they have me. Now I'm having to recover in the ICU after every operation because they're having to monitor my breathing and my heart rate because I'm on so many drugs. And so at this point, they've given me. What they feel like, okay, we cannot give them more of any, we can't give them more Dilaudid, Demerol, or Fentanyl, or et cetera, et cetera. And so they give me, uh, this was the first time that I had experienced, after one of these operations, ketamine. And (laughs) I was such a, uh, it was just bad because the guy comes in and started administering the ketamine. And uh, I'll never forget this. And he goes... He starts to administer it through my one of my IV that comes into my pick line. And he says, hey, you feel it yet? I'm like, nope. Keep pushing. Feel it yet? Nope. I started to feel it the second time he asked. Mm-hmm. But I was like, nope. He's like, oh, all right. Feel it yet? Nope. Mm, nothing. At this time, I definitely feel it. But I'm lying because, again, if one pill's good, I bet you ten's awesome. My mindset, right? And so the fourth time he asked me, I'm like, oh, yeah, all right, I feel it. And he was like, okay, because I, I don't think I've ever given anyone that much. But they say your tolerance is really, really high, so, you know, it is what it is. Well, I mean, I started, I mean, the door didn't even shut all the way, and I started hallucinating my balls off. I'm, uh, I am on so much ketamine. And on the street, apparently the street terminology for a special K. And I didn't even know, like, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was gnarly. 
I mean, I was seeing things that weren't there. I was, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> and I came out of that and I told my lead physician that came, I said, don't ever, I don't want that stuff anymore. Like that was not, mm-hmm. like that was not a cool high. Like it was bad. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. And they're like, well, we're going to have to put you back in the ICU. I was like, I do not care. I'll live in the ICU. No it's kidding. not like I'm in the Ritz, okay? Mm-hmm. If I'm in the ICU or I'm in this room with four other dudes, like, it doesn't matter. Whatever, Whatever right? And um, obviously I develop, I develop a bit of a reputation at BAMC. And um, I'm, I'm attached to Fourth Recon that was there at the time. And it's right out, right by BAMC. And there was one Marine there that the day I got there, he was right there. He was um, a staff sergeant at the time, and he told me when I got there, he was like, hey, brother, I'm going to come see you every day. I'm, I'm in this with you. Well, so did the, I don't remember if he was the first sergeant or major at the time, said the same thing. Well, there was a lot of cameras there from you know, CNN and Fox and crap because I'm you know the only Marine or facility got some attention and so that guy says the same thing well i didn't see him again but the the first guy the staff sergeant every day man every day and he he started messing like he would walk in and like tickle where my right foot should be (laughs) and it would tick it was crazy because it would tickle and it would i'd be like vic come on bro (laughs) and it would he would just laugh and laugh he thought it was the best thing ever and it was just those little moments though those little nuances of time that would light make me forget that I was who I was and I was in the situation I was in that would make me realize you know if if I think it's that bad I would get when I was able to get mobile I remember actually I was in isolation when Ty showed up who was the second marine at Bansy and um they told me, hey, there's another Marine on deck. Just He's getting, he just got here, but they don't think he's going to make it. And I said, I, I need to see, I need to go see him right now. I'm like, well, you're in isolation. I do not give a shit. I'm going to go see him right now or you're going to have to kill me. It's the only way I'm not seeing him. So they were like, okay. And they get the little human crane and crane me up and put me in my black electric wheelchair i called it my black cadillac thing was legit they took it from me though because I, I put one too many holes in the in the walls of the don't drive your electric wheelchair and heavily medicated. heavily medicated folks it's not safe but i go see ty dui right <laughs> i have one of those too yeah believe it or not i got one of those and uh but I go see Ty. Mind you, this time at this point, I still haven't gotten like emotional one time. Like it's since I left Dulab, like I haven't gotten emotion from my family or otherwise. I'm still pretty squared away with the whole emotion thing. I go see Ty, and I go into his room, and he's completely wrapped up. I mean the. <clears throat> front half of his cranium was blown off i mean it was he was blind in one eye severely burned i mean bad I mean, he looked like a mummy when i saw him no ears were burned off eyelids nose lips and uh 
I remember I had to yell at his nurse, who was this giant black dude, this giant black army guy. And I had to yell at him, who had to then lean down and yell in the side of Ty's head so he could know what was going on. And I just told him, I told the nurse, like, I was like, hey, brother, I just wanted to come see my family. You know, because I, I heard another Marine was on deck, and I was like, right on. And now we can take over this hospital. And uh, so he leaned down. He said, hey, Ty, another Marine. And Ty, like, put up his, his knob like, hell yeah, Marines. And and Ty whispered to the nurse, and he said, he wants to know, like, what are your injuries? And I told him, you know, told him my injuries and uh, started, of course, with, you know, I lost my right leg, didn't lose it. I mean, obviously I know where it went, but told started with that. And he was whisper he was telling Ty as I'm telling the injuries <laughs> and as soon as I said lost my right leg, like Ty holds up his right leg, like still got mine. <laughs> Puts it down. And the left leg got banged up, blah, blah, blah Ty holds up his left leg and it was like, dude, this typical typical marine banter right there. Considering the conditions we're in, yet we're just gonna smoke and joke. Mm. Because that's what family does to get through the hard times. You gotta find light and regardless of how dark the situation is. Because if you don't, it will kill you. But I remember having this interaction with Ty. And I left the room and I'm facing the nurse's station when I come out and the door shuts and I just completely and utterly broke down. To the point of anger. Like I was I was sobbing and angry. I was so angry seeing him that way. And think, and I just like just yelled like those those bastards. Like what you know, what why? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we gonna do about that? And it pissed me off not only because here I see my brother that is never ever ever gonna be remotely the same as he ever was before. But then it reminded me in a very abrupt manner, who the hell are you to be acting the way you're acting? Because they're telling his family, you better call anyone who wants to tell him goodbye because he's probably not going to make it through the next 48 hours. And here I was acting like a complete asshat. Very much alive. Not having, they weren't having to call anyone in my family or any of my friends. Because I was going to make it. At this point, I'm going to make it. And that reminded me of, <laughs> it's not about you. You just thought it was about you. It's not about you. And then that, that one interaction taught me right then, okay, I need to go see every wounded person in this hospital as often as I can because that's where I found healing so that's what I did I saw every wounded person talked to all their families and that is when I realized that God there, there's really something of the service above self because not only does it feed my soul it feeds theirs it's mutually beneficial and I learned If you're not willing 
<clears throat> to use whatever platform you find yourself in and to make yourself 100% vulnerable for whatever may come, you will never make a difference. You're waking up and choosing to be status quo and choosing to be average. And I learned right then, the great, the great ones, the ones that the history books are going to rave about and that do rave about, were consistently uncomfortable and consistently vulnerable. And that was a great lesson for me to learn. It didn't make me any better than anyone else. It just made me more susceptible to judgment, which I already had a ton of, so I didn't care. But I remember being and thinking about this pride of being a United States Marine and representing what that means and thinking about Gunny, you know, the salty Gunny back in Iraq and thinking, how would he behave? How would he react? How would, what would he do? Same thing about first sergeant. And I'm actually, let's back up back to, um, I'm going to give an example of what being tribal truly means that you can't buy. So I'm back in Bethesda, and my dad tells me, hey, Jake, First Sergeant Green's going to come see you. And I just remember thinking, shit, he's, he's, I'm sure he's pissed because I got hit. And, like, he's probably just going to finish the job. And so I was terrified, right? I'm terrified because I, I, not only do I respect this man to the nth degree, but I love this man. And I was like, ah, damn, fuck. I don't want to experience what I'm about to have to experience. I'd rather take the coward's way out. So I was like, I'm just going to act like I'm, I'm passed out when he walks in. I'm on a lot of drugs. That'll work. So I hear a knock on the door. And I'm like, oh, I hear the door open. My dad say, good evening, first sergeant. How are you? First sergeant walks in. So I'm like, all right, I'm passed out. As soon as he busts the hatch and walks in, my freaking heart monitor dimes me out. <laughs> Because it goes from like the slow, steady beep to the boo, boo, to the rapid beep. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Obviously, this isn't going to work. And there is no plan B. I'm awake. And he looks at my family. <clears throat> Man, my, my dad's in there. My, my mom, my stepmom, my aunt, my cousins, my brother, my sister. And, my <laughs> and he says, uh, hey, Mr. Chick, how you doing? He's got that raspy voice I mean, I'd imagine being on the drill field as long as he was didn't help and he said um, we're doing alright we're hanging in there first sergeant and he said good to go good to go hey you mind if I have a minute with my brother and my dad was like sure you know, go ahead first sergeant like he was going to turn around <laughs> come talk to me with everybody in the room and he looks right at my father and says yeah I'm going to need y'all to get the hell out and I was just thinking he's about to kill me right now <laughs> it's over <laughs> And he comes up to the side of my bed, and remember, the only thing that works is my right arm. And first sergeant leans down, and he puts his right arm out as if to, like, pick me up. And so I grab, like, I, I collapse hands with him as if he's going to pick me up, right? And he puts the back of his hand on my heart and the back of my hand on his. And he leans down further and puts his forehead on my forehead. And he sits there for about three minutes. 
He stands up. He pats me on my face. And he walks out. To this day, it was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had in my life. And not one word was spoken. That's being tribal. That's tribal. That goes much deeper than team. You can't train that. And he walks out of the room and obviously gets emotional when he walks out because my dad walks in and I get emotional as soon as he walks out because God forbid we cry in front of one another. Can't do that. And my dad walks in and sees me emotional and he went, hey, first sergeant, and he looks at me and like with a puzzled look on his face and he just goes, you Marines are freaking weird. <laughs> and I was like, get out, banker. You're a banker. And it was one of those moments, man, that only people who have bared the burden of a purpose much greater than themselves, willingly and openly, knowing what the odds could be, what the odds are, what the outcomes could be, only the people that are willing to love all the way, regardless of the amount of pain, could understand and appreciate that moment. I mean, and I'm proud to say that that man's now the Sergeant Major of the United States Marine Corps. There's not a more deserving individual I can think of. Because that guy, that guy is one of the guys I found following the blood trail that taught me, if you're going to love, do it all the way. Don't waste anyone's time doing the halfway thing. That was an amazing moment that I will take to my grave, cherishing, knowing that that guy just told me without telling me, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. At what point... Did you realize that the drugs were a legit problem? The day I was leaving San Antonio, the um, the commanding general of the hospital, was, I ended up getting pretty close to at my time during my time there. Said came out and he's we're walking out, or well, he's walking. I'm rolling. I'm still not walking well at this point. And he says. Uh, I'm going to check out over at Fourth Recon, and he says, "You know, you know, Jake, I feel like we should name a hall or something after you after all the shit you put us through." <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, sir, let me do the infamy thing. All I can just let me handle. I got it. All my lonesome. I don't need your help, you know." And uh, he was like, "You know, you're, it's. I'm sad to see you go." Um, it's, and I said, well, I'm, I'm scared to death to leave. And I remember I, I basically got a, a giant bag of drugs before I went over to fourth recon. The last thing I did with them was sign a page 11. And, um, because I, the, the higher up that told me, you know, I'm going to be here every day. I told him when I thought about that, when, what I thought about him. And so. And he showed me by making me sign a page 11. And I was like, put it on my tab, bro. What's <laughs> a page 11? Slap on the wrist, pretty much. Mm -hmm. But you can't be promoted for 
I think it's 12 months with page 11. Yeah. And so I was just like, he was in D.C. at the time when I checked out. And the gunny there was like, you know, hey, he said he wanted to talk to you. And I was like, get him on speakerphone. Let's talk. And I said, I told him what I thought about him. It was inappropriate. And I'm not sorry. Um, but he's like, give him a page 11. And gunny was like, you know, do you want to? contest this it's like hell no put it on my tab bro (laughs) on my way out (laughs) and um man i had this bag of drugs and my brother met up there with me my brother was gonna drive me to florida where i was going to uh check in with massic 21 and i knew right then because i was like okay at this point i'd already started like if i was eating one if i had a family member or friend give me a fentanyl pop out of my bag of goodies like i would chew it i'd bite it off the stick chew it up and swallow it and just lay on the stick and i'd be like hey so who's gonna grab me a fentanyl pop I'd be like, yeah, jake we just gave him no you didn't you thought you did but you didn't <laughs> i knew like because i was like hey listen if i just can't feel nothing matters if i'm completely numb nothing matters mm-hmm. and then when they gave me that giant bag i was like oh shit i knew how it was gonna end i was like yeah well this should like this is a i don't remember what they told me like a three-month supply and i was like no this is like a three-week supply and um man i started that's how i integrated back into civilian society it was high as a kite knowing that if i don't have to fill and I can do go through this thing numb, nothing matters. Because if you can't feel it, who cares? You know, I mean, who cares? And it was something that really was, um, it just got worse and worse. I mean, essentially what I did for a year and a half was chase my first high. That's what I did. And I was finally, for about a year there, I slept with a, a an over and under 12 gauge shotgun was condition one next to my bed every night. And every day I talk myself out of utilizing it to end my own life to, to where I, I was almost to the point where I had decided why it was okay to do it. And I had justified it in my head. And why it would be better for everyone in my life and around my circle if I was gone. And so I, but then I was told by family that, you know, Jake, the difference between, at this point I'm taking about 55 pills three times a day. And I was eating between 8 and 12, 400 milligram fentanyl pops a day. I was on enough medication to, to kill a village in Africa. It was gnarly. And the fact that I never OD'd, I mean, there's no medical explanation for that. And so and I, Where were all the drugs coming from? You, just, it's easy. you get them. Make a phone call and get them. Boom. Yeah. And so it was. that was the least of my worries on how to get the drugs. I mean, because... But and to be fair, because I was on so much as I came out of the hospital, yeah. it took a lot to keep me where I was. I mean, if I if I'm even ten minutes late, was ten minutes late on one dose, I'm starting to withdraw. 
I mean, it was bad. And so finally, I pretty, I get told, you know, the difference between you living the way you're living and eating a bullet is is time, but the outcome's the same. You're just slowly killing yourself. You owe it to your brothers that didn't come home and those that did and still love and respect you to not only live, but live well. Because that's the only way you can truly honor them, is by living well. I mean, that hit me hard. And I realized I'm being a selfish bastard. That's what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm, I'm carrying out every day like a victim. And I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. I need to start acting like it. And so I called my lead physician the next morning. I said, hey, good news, doc. I'm getting off all the drugs. She said, how are you going to do that? So I'm just not taking the first dose. I'm just stopping. She said, I'd highly advise against that. So why is that? She said, because you'll probably have a massive heart attack and die. I said, roger that. Plan A is a no-go. What's plan B look like? And she was like, well, you're going to have to come back to BFC, and we're going to have to wean you off the drugs, which is not what I wanted to hear. Because it was like when I left MCRD San Diego, I was like, no need to ever come back here. I'm done. D-U-N, done. And I was like, ah, shit, all right. And I went back there and started that process, man. And let me tell you something. I can sit here and tell you with conviction, I know why addicts stay addicts. Because that slow withdrawal process of getting clean I mean this wholeheartedly. I don't know what was harder, being blown up or getting clean. I honestly don't know what was harder. Because, I mean, hell, coming off the drugs, they gave you drugs to help you come off the drugs. And it's like, I just, you know, what the frick? Isn't there a shot or something you can give me and I can get the hell out of here and... But there's not. How long was the process? Supposed to be six months. So I did two and a half. I was clean because I was like, I'm not. I can't continue to be this. You sick. had that hardcore about face, though. I mean, that that comment about look, which I've said on this podcast many times. Like, look, we got to live to honor our brothers that didn't come home. That's well, the way it is. Live well, and you, yeah, you got to live the best possible life you can. They don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That thought right there is what did it? Um, no, because again, it was a myriad of things, man. Because again, you—that was the the tipping point. But th- again, it's like the people that come over and you say, "Hey, you know what the problem is?" Yeah, it's like, "Hey, I bet you there's more than one." So that tipping point, what are some other contributing factors? And the reason I'm asking you this is because so people are listening to this right now, yeah. and they're feeling the way you were feeling. Yep. I got a phone call about the our, our first loss from our unit by his own hand. <clears throat> and I was like, that stung more than I thought that would sting. And I can't do that to the tribe on top of that. There's, I can't. I need to get my shit together. And it's going to be ugly and it's going to be sloppy and it's not going to be. It's going to be the antithesis of what it should look like. But I owe that to them 
I owe that to him. That is when I decided that, you know what, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to, to try really hard to do this life thing the way that it, I'm supposed to do it. I mean, I'm going to go out of my way to be, to where when my brothers hear my name, they can smile on their chest and swell with pride. And they can say, yeah, that's my brother. Yeah. That right there is that thing that I was talking about earlier. Like, I don't care what anybody thinks when it comes to my brothers and what they think. Yeah, that means a lot, man. Yeah, that carries a shit ton of weight. Yeah, that's that's the stuff. That, it's the stuff that'll change the world. So you, so you go through the two and a half months, and you get clean. What's the temptation like once you're clean? Are you are you feeling like? I mean, is it always <laughs> there? Or what is it? For a while, bro. For a while, it's all day, every day. Every time I leave my room or I have to talk to someone, whether I'm related to them or not, or God forbid I have to go to like the mall or some shit, it's all I thought about for a while was, man, this would be so much easier if I was out right now. All the time. That's all I thought about for a while. What about booze? Yeah. Right. So that's easy. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, pretty good safety net isn't it go from one bad habit to another and you know my family doesn't need help in that arena either and so yeah i was like hey listen you know i mean i'm not on enough drugs to kill a herd of elephants anymore so i can i could probably just start drinking now yeah so little did I realize how awesome food was when I got off all the drugs, and I was like, oh, my God, food is amazing, and I love it, because I was emaciated. I mean, by, when I went to Iraq, I, I easily weighed, I was probably like 222 pounds solid. I was in some of the best shape I was ever in in my life. When I left Bamsi, I think I weighed 162, and then, because all I did was no shit, was drink Gatorade and cappuccinos. I didn't eat ever. Because you would feel like you're starving, like you're really hungry. That's why you, <laughs> the saying goes, like, you'll never meet a fat drug addict. Mm. It's true. Because you, your mind's going to tell you, like, oh, my God, I'm starving. Then you eat one bite of something, and it's like you ate an entire cow by yourself. And you're just full. And then so I, I immediately, because we need to remember, too, there are a myriad of forms of self-medicating. Not just drugs and alcohol. I mean, it can go on and on and on. Well, that's something we need to remember. Because you, there's going to be some people out there that hear this and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't drink excessively or I'm not on drugs. Well, there's a lot of other avenues. What else? <laughs> Food? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, porn? I mean, exercise. I mean, there's a million things that you could do in excess 
that you think is going to save you from your own head. Yeah, it's like an escape, right? Like an escape, and it brings like that pleasure for that exactly. moment kind of thing. Yeah, you get the same. You get the same endorphins release, the same that same dopamine, yeah. and get that same feeling of oh, this okay, this yeah, all right. So because and all it is, all it is, is a protection me- mechanism to keep you from having to look inward and go deep into the thing underneath the thing underneath the thing. That's all it is. That's all it is. And it's e- it's very, very easy to do. I mean, because just being humans alone, we are all addictive by nature. I mean, we are all to whatever it could be. And so we have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, there's we have to consistently remember that we are all always going to be human, always going to be uncomfortable with change. Most most people like regimented schedules. They like to get up at a certain time. They like to drink a certain thing, eat a certain thing, work out at a certain time, go to lunch at a certain time. By nature, all of us hate change. Anyone who's in a, in a company that goes through a big transition or a big change, any... You know what I'm talking about. But we always have to remember that. Just like in the Marines, we always say Semper Gumby. The more comfortable you get being uncomfortable, the happier you're going to be. So at what point in this, uh, you get clean, what point do you decide you're going to do something significant to try and help other people and you start <laughs> yeah, 22 great, kill. Great question. Well, I didn't decide it. It was my grandmother told me, hey, I want you to come speak to my Rotary Club. And, you know, being a man from the South, you don't tell your grandmother no. So I was like, okay, I'm going to reluctantly do this and hate it the entire time. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I showed up, and I was easily 40 years, by at least 40 years the junior in the room. So I start telling my story, and i um, sweating grenades. <laughs> so uncomfortable. All I could think about was, like, I would love to just crush, like, 10 fentanyl pops right now. And uh, it was it was horrific. I mean, it was a freight train screwing an abortion. It was bad. <laughs> But so it was one of those things that like, but you can't look away type thing. It was one of those. But I remember walking out of there and I walked out of the building. I'll never forget the side of the building. And I took a deep breath like, okay, you know, I mean, you made it. And then when I took that deep breath, I was like, huh, I feel lighter. Not physically. Like my soul felt lighter. And I was like, oh. Then it clicked. That's what she was doing. Mm -hmm. It's tactical therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get it. That freaking broad. She got me. Because I I refused to talk to... I talked to uh, the psychiatrist once when I got to the hospital. And then when I left. And then when I was getting out of the Marine Corps for the VA process, that was it. So two or three times. 
Because I had nothing to say to them. Because that PTS and TBI thing, <laughs> it's not whatever. It's not a real thing. When I got clean and started to drink, and I was like, oh, shit. This PTS and TBI thing are very, very real. Like, very real. And um, I moved, came back, to, went back to Texas, and I was introduced to... Um, <clears throat> a couple guys who started a foundation down there, and they were a couple sills. They're to this day great friends of mine, mentors of mine, they're brothers for sure. And uh, I call them Flipper One and Flipper Two. <laughs> and uh, that's when I was kind of introduced to the nonprofit world and working with warriors and their families and first responders and law enforcement officers and their families. And, you know, it was like, it clicked with me. Like, uh, like I, I like this. I'm never going to get rich or wealthy doing this. And that's not the point. It was, that gave me more, that put more in my soul tank than any pill or any bottle ever did. And it made me realize, like, oh, all right, this is the same reason I went and visited all the wounded every time I could, even when we lost guys in the hospital. Like, this is why I'm doing this. This It's greater than me. It reminds me daily how insignificant I am, that I'm, ju I'm just an another guy that's just choosing to do stuff that's out of, out of the norm. It's hard stuff. Anything worth doing should be. should be hard. And it's not worth doing alone. And when I was working with this organization, I was surrounded by people better than me. By default, I was better. And consistently pushed harder and harder. Because I wanted to be held to a different standard. Again, because even then I wasn't waking up like I'm going to go out of my way to be average today. No, because I had two freaking Navy SEALs that, you know, were worried. That they had to have really good tans and their hair had to be great. <laughs> and they had to have this one type of really cool sunglasses. And I was like, hey, what I'm going to do is just, I'm just going to outwork these dudes. You know, I can't use a weapon anymore. I'm not going to outrun them. God knows I'm not going to outswim them. I probably can't outshoot them. My body's completely dicked up, but I could probably hone. I could probably work with the most important tool we all have, most important weapon we all have. I could probably get to where I could outthink them. And so I started to, and to this day, it's, it's a toss-up, but... Well, with one of them. One of them, I, I passed them a long time ago. But uh, they know who they are, too. That's what makes it even even more beautiful. But that's when I realized, like, all right, I need to be, this is what I got to do. This is, this is what I'm going to be called to do, is to talk to other members of society who've been dealt whatever hand or been dealt a blow. To let them know, like, hey, yeah, right now it sucks. 
but you can come out the other side. Because don't get in that deep, dark rabbit hole. Don't do that. Because very few people come out of that. I know because I tried it over and over again. And I never got out of it on my own. Always took help. And so at the time, in 2012, that's when the the study came out from the VA. On average, 22 veterans a day die by suicide. And so... Another Marine and a couple Marines, a business guy, got together in Dallas and they're like, hey, man, we got to do something. This is, you know, this is, this is our family. Like, no one even knows this is a thing. What the hell are we doing? And um, at the time, I'm I'm working at at a place that focuses completely on the brain. I mean, I'm surrounded by neuroscientists, PhDs, MDs, and I'm learning a lot of things that just reiterated the fact that post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, these are very, very real things. And I worked there for three years while 22 Kills started, and it basically started as an awareness movement. And that's where the the push-up challenge was born, the 22 push-up challenge. I was started by 22 Kill in 2012. Just for those listening, that went viral in 2016. So, you know, overnight success is not a real thing. And so I, I'm working at this center the whole time, and then there's some change up in leadership at 22 Kill, and I kind of found myself drifting away from the work I was doing at the center because it just wasn't <clears> – <throat> It wasn't getting to the part of the soul that I wanted to be in. And it wasn't getting to that. Like people I've been asked, like, how, you know, how long are you going to speak? Because the travel schedule, you know, it's brutal, right? And I, my, I thought about it for a nanosecond and I thought, okay, well, when I walk off a stage, the first time I walk off a stage and I feel like I didn't leave a piece of my soul there, that's the last time I'll do it. Because, again, it's mutually beneficial. And if it's not, then and you're a presenter, you're only going to fake it for so long. People don't realize. I feel like I ran a marathon when I'm done presenting for an hour. I'm mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. And if you're not, you're faking it. And so that's when I... I left there, and you know what I learned after three years of working at that place? It's completely centered around the brain and the mind. And it's unfortunate, but essentially I learned after three years at that place that we don't know shit about the brain. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. again, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to candy coat it. It just is what it is. Why do you think we're still, still spending billions and billions of dollars? on all this research and all these studies and trying to figure it out because we just don't understand it. That's why we, you know, we you talk about Alzheimer's and CTE. We don't even have the technology and the imaging to recognize these things in a living human. We put a man on the moon in 1969. Can't tell you if you have CTE while you're alive. You know, for me, it's like, hey, let's step back and look at our priorities. 
Because one thing everyone's got is a brain. Everyone. And the problem with the brain is there's no prosthetic for that. You get the one you got and that's it. Why are we not hyper-focused on honing this weapon that makes us who we are? And so I, the 22 kill approached me and said, hey, we would love for you to come run 22 kill. We can keep the lights on for about another month and a half. And you don't get health insurance. <laughs> and you're going to have to take a pay cut. And I was like, let me think about it. Absolutely, yes. Because I want to be able to talk and share what I've been through with warriors and first responders and law enforcement officers and their families and say, hey, listen, you see that scar? Like, that one's worth it. This one over here, don't do that. That one's not worth it. You're going to have to fight these demons. There's no way around it. But you can win. You just have to keep fighting. Because no matter what, no matter where you find yourself in life, you're going to have to fight. Because none of us are getting up and picking out our unicorn. We're just not. Yeah. You wake up every day and it's you versus you. And so that's why I, I was drawn to that. And we had a, a really big first couple of years I was there. And, and not all because of me. It had to do with a myriad of people, the people that support us, the people that say one of my biggest regrets was never serving. And I'm like, hey, who told you? Who lied to you and said that you have to wear a uniform to be of service to your nation? Because you don't. You don't. That's a that's a misnomer. I don't wear a uniform anymore. Neither do you. Neither do you. It doesn't mean we're not serving. I don't do what I do because it's easy. I do it because it's hard. And the, the employees that work for 22 Guild do it because it's hard. And in the face of tremendous loss, they fight on. That's character. They're doing their dash justice. Because they're moving a mountain that our own government looks at and says, hey, pick up the corner of that rug and start sweeping and look the other way, and maybe it'll go away. It's not going away. What can people that are listening do to help the cause? You know, I got this from a buddy of mine who was actually an officer in the Army who was severely wounded um, years ago, and and he's he, I'm going to echo it just because he's right. It's You hear all the time, like, I want to help. I want to help. Right? I mean, you hear it a lot from whether it's, Yo, I want to I wanna help save the puppies that don't have a home. I, so, I tell people all the time, if we were trying to raise money for dogs that died by suicide, we'd be sitting on a billion dollars. It's true. I mean, it's just true. I mean, how many dogs have screwed over a person? Very few, right? 
But it is what it is. But it, if if you want to wake up and you want to serve or you want to help, we all have three things of value. Every human on this entire spinning ball of shit has three things of value. Time, talent, and treasure. And if you're not willing to sacrifice some of one of those three things, you're just talking. That's it. You're talking. If you want to help, start sacrificing one of those three things. I don't care if it's the 22 kill. I don't care if it's to the humane society. I don't care. Sacrifice. Because every time we put on that uniform and our firefighters and our paramedics and our EMTs and our law enforcement officers, I mean, tell me if you would feel as confident as you did going to a foreign country, going to hook and jab, find the bad guys and kill them. Tell me if you would have felt as confident doing that, knowing that there are people back here whom you've never met willing to kick in the door to your house while it is ablaze and save your family. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thank all those people every single time I do this podcast, and that, that's exactly what I say for taking care of our home while we were gone. That's and it. That, that's, that's absolutely. And so <clears throat> for, that's, that's why it's, for me, if you're not willing to sacrifice, just like these men and women do on a daily basis, you're talking. You're talking. If there's people out there that can write a check, and that's enough, and that's okay. That's okay. You're doing your part. You're doing your part. That's all right. There are people that want to share talents. There are people that say, hey, I want to volunteer. I'm a body. Use me. I'm here. That's service. That's sacrificing. And we have a myriad of ways to do it. And it's a beautiful thing because we're getting better and better at what we're doing. Because we're not doing research and studies. We're implementing the things that work. And we're able to tell these men and women, because it's notorious in, in the warrior community, and you're going to know right when I say it, when you see a brother, and you're like, hey, bro, you good? How are you? I'm good. Okay. How do we get you great? Because I want you great. Because greatness begets greatness. That's that's the living well peace. And we have to do it as a tribe together. I don't give a shit if you ever put a uniform on the, a day in your life. If you're willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with people that experience trauma before the trauma. And they know they've got a thing underneath a thing underneath a thing. And you're willing to say, hey... Let's go start picking up pebbles and moving them because we'll move this mountain and it's going to be long and an arduous and a painstaking process. But look to your left and right. That's what makes it worth it. And we're doing that and we're just getting better at it. And yeah, it's stressful. And yeah, I hate fundraising. And yeah, I hate it. But it all it comes with it. It comes with the territory. 
So some people are going to want to, so what, 22kill.com? Is that the best place to go look? <clears throat> yeah, go to 22kill.com. Read about, learn about what we're doing. Learn about the things that we've decided to really engage our focus on and why we're, and we're, we're not just helping and treating the warrior or the first responder or the law enforcement officer. It's, it's the, we want the entire family. Because when you have when you pull up to the tire shop and you have four bad tires, you can't you're not going to change just one tire, right? You got to change all four. We got to treat the family as a unit. Because I'm speaking from experience when I say we leave a big wake in our path, and I would not be surprised if my family. Has post traumatic stress just from dealing with me. And the sad thing is, is I'm not joking. No. <laughs> you know? I was thinking about the nurses and doctors you left in the hospital as well, as you mentioned earlier. If they are better people because of dealing with me. So it's, it, but I mean, listen, man, we're, and, and just so people know, 22kill.com, they're like, well, don't you have to be .org? To, aren't you? No, no. That's you listening to the media. God forbid, do your own homework and figure it out. It's You can have .org, .com, .net, doesn't matter. That does not denote if you're a 501c3 or not, just for the record. And we have our saying at 22 Kill, when I came on, I, I changed it to one tribe, one fight. Because you hear all the time in the military especially, one team, one fight, one team, one fight. <clears throat> And I was around some guys who use, use the word tribe, and <clears throat> I thought about it, and the more and more I thought about it, <clears throat> I was speaking one time, I don't remember where I was, but I went to say one team, one fight, but I said one tribe, one fight. And I said, because it's too easy to be a team. And if you If you have the same letterhead on your business cards, or you have the same insignia on your shirt that makes you a team a tribe goes way deeper than that a tribe is when my first artist putting his forehead against mine and doesn't say a word yet I learn a life lesson and I get the acceptance that I was longing for without even speaking that's tribe a tribe is driven by the same ideals the same conviction, the same passion. I get asked all the time, like, why do you think, why are we still at war in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria? Oh, because you can't kill your way out of an idea. That's why. That's what it is. God forbid we call it that. But just with us, we, so we have programs like Camp Valhalla, which is a program where we can have, we take up words, first responders, law enforcement officers. The most gnarly side of it is we'll take them up in a helicopter and take them to go kill hogs out of a helicopter. Because if you don't like that, then you don't like freedom. <laughs> but we, you know, we also, you, we can take them fishing. We can take them to the range. We can, but it's always followed up by a fireside chat. That's where the money's made. That's where you got to be vulnerable.
go get your adrenaline kick, and then be willing to, to, to lower your wall and talk about the real shit. You know, then we have stay the course, which is, that's a traditional therapy. That's the, this is the, you know, Camp Bahala would be non-traditional. Stay the course is very traditional. It's the one-on-one therapy with the warrior, first responder, his or her family. And listen, the reason that that was an attractive approach was because if you look back on what is the most successful outcome measures as far as therapy goes and as far as treating matters of the mind, that has the best track record, the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I think everyone on the spin and ball of chaos should talk to a professional at least once a month, every single person. And I'm saying that as the guy that I, I would launch my piss bottle in the hospital <laughs> at one if they came in my room. I'm telling you right now, I wish I'd have started that a long time ago because it would have saved me from a lot of shit I've had to deal with because I let my pride win. That's it. I mean, don't be afraid to say what it is. We started a thing called the Brave Program, which is women-specific because, believe it or not, neither sex knows everything. They just don't. There's power in numbers, but... Women, when you break it down, you break the numbers down to the bare bones. They're leading the charge in everything in a negative light. And that's, I think, has a lot to do with they're a much smaller population when it comes to the service community. So they're more apt to be to deal in self-medication, isolation, you know, and, that, and they don't have nearly as big as of an immediate tribe to depend on as we do because there's just way less of them. And so that's that's our brave program, and they can go do all the things that all the guys do, but it's women specific because they need to be empowered too, and it's our job to help them do that without judgment. And we also have the White Star Families program that we're building out, which is basically you have the Gold Star Families, which started by the DoD. Well, unfortunately, the White Star Families don't have a seat at that table. White Star Families. They are family family members who have fallen victim to suicide. And we want to give them a table. They deserve a damn table. As you talk to those kids, they don't give a crap how their mom or dad died. They just know they don't have a mom or dad. That's enough for me. Far be it from us to not honor someone like Lewis Puller. Who the hell are we? I don't give a crap what society says that... The, how I should feel about that. Because let me tell you something. This is something everyone needs to know. And unfortunately, I bet a lot of your listeners do know already. Suicide's just a word until it affects you personally. It's just a word. And I hear a lot where there's some corporations or owners of a mom and pop shop. Well, Jake, you know, we would love to support you. But 22 Kill is a pretty strong name. So is cancer and AIDS supposed to get your attention that's the point start the conversation because you know you hear we hear all the time knowledge is power no it's not knowledge is power when it's shared then it becomes powerful and i tell people just like i'll tell you if you can't support us because of a name if you can't look past a name to get to the root cause of an issue consider yourself part of the problem said all you're doing is feeding a stigma that's killing 
the best men and women this nation's got to offer. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap. We've been going for a while, and and especially because you just made very clear the reason why I wanted to have you come on this podcast now because, you know, again, this ties everything together that I've been talking about for the past three podcasts. You know, you got a guy like Lewis Puller Jr., And we got to do something. Yeah. Because it's still going on. And you're out there and your your people are on the front lines fighting it. And, you know, I was watching a video that you had on your YouTube channel. And it's just pictures. Pictures of soldiers, pictures of Marines, pictures of servicemen and women. And... They're just coming up on the screen and it's all them, you know, in their uniforms and overseas and back home. And and I know what each one of those pictures is. And so I thank you for coming on. Obviously, uh, thanks for your service and thanks for everything you've done and Thanks for your sacrifice and thanks for what you're doing right now. Well, let me tell you, I learned a long time ago, um, <clears throat> you guys like us, the, you know, the meatheads and the knuckle draggers that, oh, just, I'm, I'm sick of hearing thank you for your service. You know, it was impossible for me for a long time to go in a public place. Because if I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, it's abundantly apparent I had a shitty day at the office somewhere along the line. It was impossible for me to get anything done, go buy bread and go home without someone stopping me. I hated that happen over there. Yeah. Thank you for your service. I was like, man, it's so annoying. I don't want to. I just want to get bread and go home. It never dawned on me until a few years ago. Maybe they're doing that for them. Maybe that's as much for them as it is for me. And then I thought about why I signed up. Because I it's because I thought they were worth it. I thought their families were worth it. So I was told one time, hey, thank you. And I said, you're worth it. Two things happened. The conversation ended there. <laughs> and secondly, they probably walked out of there a little taller than they walked in. And I was like, oh, thanks, God, I get it now. It's not about me. And I'll tell you just like I tell all of them, you're worth it. Your family's worth it. All your listeners, I feel the same way. Even though I guarantee you I'm going to have a million differences with a million different of them. You're worth it. I'll do it all again tomorrow. Just had a bad day at the office. And, you know, it's... I just want to leave your listeners with this is that there's power. Just trust me when I tell you there's so much power. We're about to start this thing called the tribal council, which I think is going to, it's a peer to peer support group. And I think I'm praying to God that it has the power behind it that I think it does. 
<clears throat> where, and I'm going to lead the charge. I'll be the first one to stand up on the soapbox. I'm just going to open up my chest cavity, pour my soul out in front of a group of people I've never met and say, here's the shit I deal with. Here's what I've been through. This is what I'm doing to address it. And this is how you can hold me accountable. Who's next? There's a lot of power in that. Because we have to remember, in our community, you hear all the time, be accountable to yourself, be accountable to your brothers, be accountable to your sisters. Well, unless you have brutal honesty first, you have manufactured accountability. So when I ask you, how you doing? Don't tell me good to appease me because I'm going to call you on your shit. Be great. You know, so thank you. I'm going to turn it back on you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Because, dude, you're, you're, you're tip of the spear just like anyone else. Like, you are leading the charge. This wasn't easy for you to do. What, what you had me come here do and do, when you talked about Chessie, when you talked about Lewis Jr., when you had me, this is not the popular thing to do. But you said... I've never been okay with the status quo. Why start now? So thank you for everything you've done and continue to do. Well, I'll tell you, this is a, it, it's literally an honor to, to be able to do this. People throw that word around all the time. It is an honor for me to sit here. It's an honor for me to sit here with you, all the guests I've had on here, to be able to tell these stories that I, I'm sick sometimes that they're, they're not carried on. And, um, it's an honor for me to be able to pass on these stories so that people know and people can learn. And it's it's a humbling experience to do it as well because being in the shadow of people like these guys, people like yourself, it's it's a humbling experience to be around warriors like that from all phases of history. And we're going to keep doing it. And when you get that program rolling, get your ass back on here. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about how it's going. And we'll get the word out on that thing, too. Right on. Awesome. Don't, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> Echo Charles. Yes. You got to quickly, <laughs> quickly, if anybody wants to support themselves. I have a question first. I knew that was coming. Hey, is that is that a common stereotype about Navy SEALs? They got to go tanning. They need the cool sunglasses. Absolutely. They need uh, nice hair. Absolutely. Not really Jocko, though. You don't go tan. Or you go tanning. No, or no. No. The stereotypical SEAL thing was uh, something that I didn't like. You know, I oh, didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, you're too and hardcore. the older I got, the more I disliked it. Dang. And it's, you know, but it's a reality of, you know, Especially during the during the eighties and nineties, bro. During the eighties and nineties, which is where that reputation. But you know, the guys in Vietnam too, man. Those guys like like in Vietnam, they wore blue jeans in the field. They yeah. you know because they kept off leeches and they were tougher. And but then you know, guess what? That turns into like something where guys, yeah. some guy in nineteen ninety two is wearing blue jeans with his camis, and it's like, yeah. oh no, wait, you have no reason to do that, bro. Yeah. Now, when I showed right. up at the teams, it was like, hey, we, you know, I, I wanted to have long hair and be like a cool guy. Wait, you did? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. 
there's somebody just put a picture out on the interwebs of me with long hair, yeah. from like circa 1990, whatever. Yeah, that was a good long one. sideburns and everything because <laughs> I wanted to be Joe Cool. And but what happened was, well, number one, the war started. Number two, I, I started working really closely with conventional forces on my first deployment a little bit on my second deployment a ton also i did multiple shipboard deployments where i worked with marines very closely even when i was young and yeah so i just it was one of those things that like when i would hear it at first i would be like oh that's no big deal but then what i realized was it was a real thing when you when you heard the stereotype as i as i moved into leadership positions and I would hear that stereotype. Mm. I realized it was a real thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that real thing wasn't it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny <laughs> because when you when you meet a, meet a, a Marine Corps battalion commander, yeah. and you have long hair, or your uniform doesn't look right, or you meet an uh, an Army battalion commander or an Army brigade commander or, or a senior or, or a gunny sergeant or a, a company first sergeant, when you meet one of them. Somebody that's been in the Marine Corps for 23 years yeah, yeah. and you can't put on and blouse your, your your pants and your boots, it doesn't matter how good you are in the field. They're looking at you and thinking, oh, this guy can't even blouse the boots. I don't want him around me. Yeah, okay, that, that, that's, I get it. That's, so that stereotype, even though it, it had definitely was rooted in truth, like, hey, man, when we got to Ramadi, everyone had shaved heads, everyone had squared away uniforms, didn't allow patches. We've talked about that before. You know, we we had guys, like, if we could, we'd put our whole element in Army camouflage uniforms. So ACU, so they just look like Army soldiers. Yeah, I remember you said that. Yeah. So I was against it, uh, but I, I get the humor of it. And, I, ha- yeah. I you know, I don't take anything that personally. Thanks. You know? so, okay, so it's a stereotype, like, in at work, kind of. I thought he meant maybe, like, out at the club. Or whatever, like, you know, Navy SEALs tend to be more into that. Yeah. You know what's funny is, you know who made a joke about this? Tim Kennedy. We were here. Yeah. We were recording the podcast. <laughs> Tim Kennedy was literally doing a photo shoot. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he yeah, was yeah. like, and he's got long hair. Yeah. And mm. he was like, oh, you know, I'm not like a Hollywood SEAL. And I was like, dang, dude. I don't sure? even have hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why. Let me give it, give you... The, the Barney version of everything he just yeah, said. Yeah. This is one of the things I dig about Jocko, and it has nothing to do with his following or what he did. It's because because he every, he's authentic and he's intentional in everything that he does, and we should long to be around that a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to have yeah. to go ahead and agree with you on that one. So that's when you sort of learned, hey, hair's just to look good. This is after you shaved your head, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah, hair's yeah, for sure. Hair's just to look good. For sure. Doesn't mean anything else. I'm here to win. Yeah, so that's when yeah, you learned but that. that. But that's, that, was, <laughs> cool. that was me growing up in the teams. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's why Tim, Tim, Tim Kennedy, Kennedy. he's going to hear this. I, you know, I was making watching. Fun of, making fun of my, well, he was making fun of my uh people yeah right? yeah your people yeah, about my people having long hair but he had long hair and doing a photo shoot yeah you know oh. who said that you know matt best right matt best yeah. on one of his videos he said he he alluded to that oh it's no it's real yeah no it's a thing. real no and, and it's and a real Jake thing and tim it. kennedy's 100 percent right too <laughs> because yeah. because yeah there's there's some seals where you're like oh come oh, on i know bro 100 percent. let me tell I, you, I let me tell you one thing i i i just object to in it in a in a Real strong way. What? 
Somebody using some kind of hair product, <laughs> right? Like that's no, that's a more, no. More than tanning? That's a no. Oh, t- no one actually tans. Oh, that's not a real thing. Oh bro, my it's god! A real thing. Hey, I was on. A, oh, bro, I was <laughs> on. A, I was on an arg in the nineties, and there was the there was the Marine Recon guys, and they straight up had the foil like reflectors yeah, yeah, yeah. under their chins out when they were sun tanning. <laughs> I got a kick out of that, but it doesn't right, matter. It doesn't go. matter if they that there was. A dozen recon marines out in in speedos, right. straight up tanning with baby oil. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. They're the reality worst. was the seals were the Hollywood tanning guys. Gotcha. That's the way it is. That's, oh, the, okay. that's gotcha. what you got to gotcha. deal with. At the same time, bro. Too though, let's be very clear <laughs> that it's <clears throat> me saying it, or Tim Kennedy, or Matt, or okay, that's one thing, okay. Mm-hmm. But if like. If Joe Public, civilian, says something, it's like, hey, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not right. I don't know that. The, I don't know that Joe Public would actually know that. Yeah, that's, know? What, that's why like, they watch the, movies. If we rolled out, oh, oh, if we rolled out all the stereotypes for oh, the services, like Marines, dumb, jarhead, uh, crayon, you know, cray, oh, the crayon thing. That's the big Marine Corps one. What crayon? Crayon eater. Yeah, cr- they eat eater. crayons. Oh, right? okay. That's a, that's like okay. legit thing. The the Army's got their you know who are things and you know we don't all, have that kind of all, all, all that th- kind of thing going on uh <laughs> green berets you know smoking cigarettes you know that's what the seals would say like oh yeah they're they're over there smoking cigarettes and eating donuts you know so it, it it's just little yeah, stereotypes yeah. that have some some basis of reality yeah. but you know you can't put a stereotype so that's why stereotypes are stereotypes right, there's right. some level of reality to in them but they're the the reality is that you can't blanket a whole organization with any of those. Yeah. So that's the way it goes. All right, bro. Next time you go tanning, let me know. Dude, bro. You're come the man. on, bro. You're, You're solid there. Jocko going tanning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, there it is. We up. cleared that up. Thank you for that, of course. Here to help. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I can talk about some ways to support the the podcast as well. Do you know Do you know what this is? I'm going to teach you something right now. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, when the train. No. Right? No, 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 the, the big, the big rig. No, boom, boom. No, Double yeah. time. In the field means Double hurry. time. Pick yeah. it up. Pick <laughs> up the pace. Gotcha. All right. Let's do it. All right. Cool. Well, if you want to support this podcast and yourself, of course, we're doing a double thing. Go to originmain.com, okay? Originmain.com. This is where you can get Jocko supplements for your joints, first of all. That's that's a big you one. Know, you, you know what you're starting to sound like? What? Just so you know. What? Not the radio guy. Yes. No, not that the radio guy. That was 100%. Brad, do I sound like a radio that guy? That was 100%. No, nothing. Thanks, Jake. See, Redo it, man. dude. <laughs> that, you were like, you were like, uh, no, I can't no, even no, say no, it. No, 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 I wasn't. All right. All right. I, I believe you. Okay. OriginMaine.com. Maine, the state Maine. OriginMaine.com. This is where you can get Jocko Supplements, Super Krill Oil for your joints. Important. Super important. Yeah, that was good. Solid. Approved. Yeah. And it's true, by the way. Also, another t- supplement called Discipline. That's what this one, this one is right here. It's like a cognitive so enhancer and, fa- you know, some caffeine in there. Some good stuff. Some Is there There's some vitamins in here? This is a good one. This is a really good one. Um, you can take it before you do some something that you got to use your brain and your body, which is cool. Also, Mulk. Mulk. Mulk is out. It's protein powder. Jocko, what the I, umlaut? I, I, believe it or not, I did two and two. I, I did two and two. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I put it together. Wasn't that crafty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there it is. Boom. <laughs> and 
Milk. Tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Mint chocolate chip. Hey, wait, wait. You're coming out with a new... Uh... Yeah, but the, we're working. Those won't be out for a little bit. Oh, okay. So there's new, new flavor. Disi- there's new discipline coming out. It's a new flavor. <laughs> One of the flavors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the flavors is... It's... I don't know if this is okay, right? It's we might okay. have to rebrand it no. something else. Because it can't be Jocko. If it is... Mm-hmm. Coconut pineapple. <laughs> yeah. It's tasty. Yeah, okay, so it here's, so here's good, one man. of those things. I, I can't believe it. So anyway. So Jocko's hardcore, right? Authentic. Oh, authentic. Hardcore, right? This guy. Okay, so one of the main important issues with developing these supplements, which are good supplements, by the way, is taste. Is that hardcore? Does that seem hardcore to you? He thinks that I would like... He, when I originally was making supplements, he thought that that my I would have no priority on taste. Like if it tastes right. bad, doesn't matter. Right, doesn't matter. Suck it. It's actually better if it tastes no, worse. No, that's false dichotomy. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't thinking. But you could think that. Yeah, yeah that I can be like, right. you know what? Yes, In order correct. to drink this, you just got to get like you just got to grit your teeth and get some. Potentially, like yeah. hey, if that happens, it happens. Kind of like if it's but cold. But I don't feel whatever. that way because the reality yeah. is when when supplements taste like crap, you don't, you don't eat take them. Take them. So then, what's the point? Yeah. So there you go. The flank. That's what he did. That's what that is. The flank with the taste. Nonetheless, tastes good. And I think pina colada, pineapple, coconut, Mm. whatever. I think that's a good idea. Pay homage to uh, our Hawaii roots. Yes. Yes. All my people in Hawaii. (laughs) Yes. And milk, by the way, uh, is uh, mint chocolate chip. Yep. Mint chocolate. There's no chips. There's no chips. Good point. Same same kind of it's feel. Weird. I've never heard it without the chips. It's kind of right? through my gerbil yeah, for, yeah, for a loop. It's be a little bit tough yeah. to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It will taste good, though. We can, we can count oh, on that. Oh, it tastes good. Yeah. Reports are in. Good. Very good. Also, oh, I hear good things about the mixability, too. Side yeah, note. Oh, just all That's good. a big deal, by the way. Yeah. You ever, yeah, it's it's a pain in the ass. Also, geese and rash guards. We're still on OriginMain, by the way, .com. OriginMain.com. Geese and rash guards, if you're into jujitsu. When you get into jiu-jitsu, you can have the question, and I still we still get that question. What gi should I get? Get an origin gi. Boom. There you go. Also, rash guards, compression gear, and sweatsuits and whatnot. Most comfortable sweatsuits in the world. Proven 100%. Also, the immersion camp, jiu-jitsu immersion camp. Boom. In Maine, Lake Echo layers. <laughs> <laughs> One week, two sessions, starts August 26th and September 2nd. Leif will be there. Dave Burke will be there. I will be there. J- is JP going to be JP's there? JP's d- scheduling, trying to schedule it at this time. Wait, so Leif is going? Leif is going. And of course, Jocko I can't say is like full confirmed because right, right. flights aren't booked yet or whatever, but right, right. when I talked to Leif the other day, he was, let's just call it real. Fired up. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's the plan. Boom, Leif in the game. Um, Dave, of course, me, yeah, and and Jocko's going. No injured Joe, rib. Yeah. No injured rib this Boom, time. Boom, you want to roll Jocko? You want to roll Jocko? <laughs> It'll be good. Um, go to originmain.com to see all of these things, and, uh, you know, you see something you like, get something. Also, on it.com slash Jocko, you can get fitness gear, kettlebells, steel bells, jump ropes, a lot of good stuff on there. I got some soap from them. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Just to see what it was. You know, they have some good stuff. Approve or disapprove? I didn't use it yet. Oh, okay. Just came in. I'll report back. I promise. silent. Good good spot. Onnit.com slash Jocko. Also, when you buy these books, Fortunate Son, Marine, Life of Chesty Puller, or any of the books that Jocko reviews 
on this podcast. What I did, I went to uh, Jocko Podcast or JockoPodcast.com, little section called Books from the Episodes. Got them all listed there by episode. Click through there, boom, take it to Amazon Shop. Buy those books. Or a leaf blower. <laughs> or whatever you isn't going to buy. Just carry on shopping. That's, you know, do your it's thing. A good way to support. Very good. Very good. Also, the alternative is we do like 40 minutes of advertisements uh, in the beginning. I don't of the have podcast. a problem with that. That's not happening. Well, yeah, you're kind of anti advertisements as far as advertisements go. Yeah. Even like on you, you know how when you watch YouTube video and the ads in the, in the beginning of the video? I have YouTube Red. Do you have YouTube Red too? Is that what's going on? I don't. YouTube yeah. Red is the best $9.99 a month you can spend. You press click and it just starts playing the video. No advertisement. It's like, Here's the thing. I don't mind the advertisements. That's how I find out about like a bunch of the new movies that come out. A lot of like, um, like you oh, know, intermittent this fasting. Guy's weird. I had Bro, a guy the other form. day. He was like, I was watching. He was watching one of the podcasts. And it was one of the heavy podcasts, which I guess doesn't really narrow it down too much. No, but no. he's he goes, he goes, walking to podcast, and all of a sudden there's a big advertisement on. Oh, That's, you know what? Some, this is what YouTube will do sometimes with longer videos. They'll just put that oh, in wherever. This guy was angry. Yeah. And you know what? I can dig it. It was in the YouTube comments, which we know we don't respond to, <laughs> but we do read. But I almost oh, responded, bro, nine ninety nine, nine ninety nine a month. That thing's gone. Yeah, I I was watching videos. God, that's, some, that's some serious first world shit, right there. It is, bro. It <laughs> is. Jeez. It is. Yeah. Whew. It yeah. is. My day was going great, and then a commercial uh, yeah. popped. That was thirty yeah. seconds of my life. I'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> Again, man. It, I dig. I dig the ads. I I get it though. You know, because sometimes you you're listening to his deal, his thing, whatever it is he's talking about. It takes you mentally and kind of emotionally. Let's face it emotionally into a certain spot and then the, it fades out into some hey do you want to i don't know whatever the ad is you know you want to get more color it kind of puts the brakes on that there's been some emotional moments thing. in the podcast especially for echo i will say echo's been very and and we didn't talk about it because it was actually not the right time to talk about it but on the last podcast 122 there was an emotional moment for echo and uh hey man you, you know, got through it I know, I know I'm like super hardcore and everyone knows that, you know, but hey man, you know, even the strongest Dude. have their moments of fatigue. No one. And I was maybe just fatigued that time. Maybe. Anyway. Look at him good, changing the good ways to sub, uh, uh, support is subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and any other place. So wherever you listen to your podcast, the new podcast apps all over now. Yeah, so everywhere. boom, subscribe. No shame. Can't keep up with them. Yeah, and when I say no shame, that's not a in Hawaii. Or actually, here's something a little interesting thing. It's not super interesting. It's kind of interesting. You know the expression "no shame," mm-hmm. right? It usually means like, "Bro, this guy has no shame." Like, he's kind of low. Like he he has his moral standards may be kind of low, something like that, right? In Hawaii, no shame means don't be shy. So I like in South Africa. When I was in South Africa, they say shame. Shame. It's just a word that they use for all kinds of different things. I mean, mm. oh, shame. No kidding. Yeah, it's it's, huh. it's it's. I like the way they used it. Interesting. Yeah, and I'll try and bring it back. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you right now, with those two pieces of information, <laughs> right? I'm prepared to change the world. <laughs> <laughs> it'll help. It'll help communication. You get a guy yeah. from Hawaii, oh, and he says this. no shame. He he doesn't mean it in a bad way because it's they're very subtle differences. But one is kind of on the bad side. Like, oh, this guy, no shame. You know, this guy, no shame. If a, whole, a guy from Hawaii says no shame, is he's just saying don't be shy. Or if he's telling a story, say, hey, this person wasn't shy at that point. 
Like, mm. like if he says, and here it is, here's the example. Okay, I'm telling a story about a guy who went and talked to a girl and said, bro, this guy, no shame. He just went and talked to her. Oh, yeah. On the mainland or, you know, outside of Hawaii or whatever, they'd be like, wait, what was wrong with it? Was that his friend's girlfriend or something? Or was that his oh, cousin yeah. or something? You know what I mean? So it sounds like a whole different story. See so you saying? can't do that on in text message there then? If it's a Hawaii guy, you can. More, okay, got more it. First world problems. Yeah, well. Well, well what <laughs> you may the, not the know point. is the, the if he could probably do it because he is very uh, proactive and aggressive in his use of emojis. This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rainbows, <Expert>. shakas, <laughs> lightning bolts. Yeah. He brings it. <laughs> yeah, I incorporated yes. the palm tree too very recently, so watch uh, out for that one. Yeah. Yes. Nonetheless, back to support. YouTube channel also, along with the podcast plas- platforms and apps. YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel. Warrior Kid Podcast has a YouTube channel too now. Oh. Boom, just released. Warrior Kid. YouTube Pod- channel. Yeah. Podcast for Got the it. podcast, yeah, same awesome. kind of deal, but just Warrior Kids stuff. Posted yet? It's up and running live, okay. so like it. be on the lookout like for it. that one. But yeah, YouTube, the we have the video version of this podcast. Want to see what Jake looks like? Handsome, good looking guy. He talked about right? that money maker during the podcast. Yeah. you might want to come check it out. Yeah, guys got curious. <laughs> Dude, People got curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you could, don't deny it. <laughs> yeah. One of the first things I did was ask somebody in my family. I was like, I need a mirror. <laughs> but I hadn't seen my face. Yeah. And I was like, I got how bad is it? Yeah. I saw it. And I was like, ah, it's not bad. right, we're good. Yeah, right you can still work. Boom, right on. Solid. Yeah. So if you guys curious, curious about that, boom, we got the YouTube channel. Perfect. Also got excerpts on there and enhanced excerpts. I take little excerpt, put music on it. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's nice. Jocko thinks it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. Some of them. Hell yeah. Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. Creatively enough. JockoStore.com is where you can get t-shirts and whatnot. Whatnot meaning rash guards as well. Hoodies, hats, all kinds of cool stuff. I, I think they're cool. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's Boom. good. It's good. JockoStore.com. Jocko Gear. It's Jocko Gear mm, on Jocko Store. Yeah, yeah. Fully. Nonetheless, look, with this one, I'm not saying, hey, go to Jocko Store, buy something. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just go there. Look at, check it out. You like something? Get something. That's a good way to support. That's all I'm saying about Jocko Store. Also, it's good. Yeah. Also, Psychological Warfare. Okay. If you don't know what that is, this is what it is. It's an album with tracks. Jocko tracks. Not a song. They're not songs. Not Jocko singing. You don't want none of that. (laughs) No. No, we don't. (laughs) Playing guitar, maybe. That's kind of cool. I think you play guitar. Nonetheless, it's not that. It's Jocko talking. And here's what he's saying. Okay. We call it our campaign against weakness, right? Just, you know, you're on the program. You're on the path. You're getting in shape. You're staying in shape. You're whatever you're doing, right? You're reading more. I don't know. Waking up early, right? Impose the discipline first thing in the morning, whatever. Whatever you're doing. You can do that every day. Those days where you're feeling weak, you might skip the workout. I'm going to sleep in. Whatever. Whatever the weakness is, there's a track for it. And it's Jocko telling you why you shouldn't give in to that weakness just for that time. It's not him yelling, nothing like that. Just kind of explaining to you why you shouldn't shouldn't give in. It's real effective, too, by the way. 100% effective. If I'm not mistaken, that was the last numerical report, percentage-wise. Check. Well, you know, you just mentioned very quickly the Warrior Kid podcast. Yeah. And that it has a YouTube channel. Yes. And in order to have a YouTube channel for the Warrior Kid podcast, there has to be a Warrior Kid podcast, which there is now. Yes. The Warrior Kid podcast is out. And in it, it is... Questions for Uncle Jake, by the way. Not Love this it. Uncle Jake, but a different yeah. Uncle Jake. 
I'll tell you. Similar. No, 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 no. And it's on a separate channel. The reason I put it on a separate channel is so that your kids aren't sitting there streaming podcasts or your kid podcast, and all of a sudden they jump into Mila. machete season yeah. or the Mila Massacre. So it's a totally separate channel. Uncle Jake's got some lessons learned. For kids, yes, definitely. For parents, very true. 100%. 100% coming from Echo Charles. Yeah. For teachers, yes. Coaches, yes. Human beings, I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Real quick about the, yeah. the what I was thinking too while I was listening to it, where it's, okay, this is why it's for like a parent, because the, these kids like that ask you the questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. their questions, they probably ask their parents. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Maybe the parents would be like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Or, okay, I'll just kind of spontaneously answer the question. Meanwhile, it's like kind of your ver- is good, man. Mm. It's good. It's getting so, And now they know like, oh, my one. kid. Did you know that? Happens to be, yeah. Number one. Number one uh, kids podcast. Kids yeah. and family podcast. And so family, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of Way of the Warrior Kid, there's the book, Way of the Warrior Kid. And there's also the new book. Boom. There it is. Hardcover. Way of the Warrior Kid to Mark's Mission. Uncle Jake continues to help Mark with some of his problems, losing his temper, how to handle being made fun of. Don't you wish somebody told you how to handle being made fun of when you were a kid? I know I would have liked that. Fear of failure, how do you overcome that? Also learns about the value of money. A lot of people don't know that these days. A lot of kids don't know that for sure. Mark, in the book, actually gets a job, makes money, refurbishes a bike, basically gets after it. So... Give the children that you know the ultimate gift, and that is the gift of discipline. Show them the way of the warrior kid, and you'll be stoked. Speaking of warrior kids, and soap, which you mentioned earlier, yeah. that you could get from on it. You could also get soap from Aiden. He's a warrior kid. Yeah, very very good on that. Yeah, yeah. com. Stay clean. That's the motto. Sure. Don't forget about Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. And, you know, I'm actually glad I wrote this book. Yeah. You want to know why? Because I actually have to refer to it. Oh, dang. Okay. Okay, that's kind of the reaction I thought you were going to say. Like, dang, like you didn't think I had to refer to it. Did you think I didn't have to refer to it? I think I never thought about whether or not you had to refer to it. But now that you mentioned it, it's kind of like, oh, I I get it. It's like, you know how you got to write your your to-do list? Like, well, you couldn't remember that? It's kind of like that. I I have to refer to the manual. Yeah. It's a good book. Book, man, it's good. You open it up, read a page. It's good. Read yeah. two pages. That's the way I wrote it. I wasn't even thinking about like the effectiveness of it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's if you want the audio version, Discipline Equals Freedom f- Field Manual. It's not on Audible because Audible wouldn't work for a book like this. It no. needs to be an album with tracks, so it's available on iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Play, other MP3 platforms. Then there's Extreme Ownership, of course, Combat Leadership, Applied. To the battlefield applied to business applied to life. Do you know that over one million copies sold Dang. right now? That's pretty cool. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. we're stoked on that. Congrats. And it's been it's the best selling. I forget. I, there's some kind of a cool best selling leadership book since its release or something. Right, like right. That. I forget some the actual thing, but it sounded pretty cool. Yeah, I'm in. They sent me a stat thing today. That's why I know this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Get it for your yeah. business and life, and also. You can right now order the follow-on book to Extreme Ownership that I wrote with my brother Leif Babin. It's called The Dichotomy of Leadership. It is finding the balance as a leader. And I talk about this all the time on the podcast. 
I actually said, I actually talked about the, this in the first public interview I ever did with Tim Ferriss. He asked me about the qualities of leaders. I said, balance. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Right. As we continue to work with companies and businesses and people, like the hardest thing people have, the hardest challenge people have is balance. I talked a ton it's about like, that with the, yeah. talking about Chesty Puller. So much balance. He balanced perfectly be- between being hard and being Gentle he found that perfect balance because you know if you're gentle too gentle as a leader you're a pushover No one respects you If you're too hard as a leader You drive people too hard. You're a slave driver. No one likes you. No one respects you. Mm. You got to find that balance That's what this book is about And if you need QRF at your company quick reaction force Mm. Right if you need some support some help with your leadership. Well Contact the quick reaction force for your team. It's called echelon front It's my leadership Consulting company. It's me. It's Leif Babin, JP Dinell, Dave Burke. Website is echelonfront.com. We solve problems through leadership. Boom. <laughs> if you got a problem, it's leadership. Of course, the Muster Leadership Seminar 005 is in Washington, D.C., May 17th and 18th, and 006 is in San Francisco, October 17th and 18th. D.C. is close to being sold out right now. It might be sold out. There might be a few tickets left, but if you want to register, ExtremeOwnership.com, get in the game with us. I will not be in the presidential suite eating chocolate-covered strawberries and drinking fizzy water. I will not be doing that. I will be with you. If you come to the monster, I'll be with you, hanging out, eating lunch, working out, talking, answering questions the whole time. No green room. Leif, same way. JP, same way. Dave, same way. Echo Charles? Same, same, same way. way. Crazy. You can come to either, any one of those if you want to. They're fun. Oh, man. They're fun. Yeah. We got something in Dallas, too, if you want to come to that. It's uh, called the Roll Call. It's for police, law enforcement, oh, dude, yeah. uh, military. You want to come, hang out, do whatever you want to do. You can just come BTF around, get after it. That's cool with us. And that yeah. one is September 21st in Dallas, Texas. That's also register on ExtremeOwnership.com. And until... Dude. It's perfect. It's perfect. You got something oh, going dates. on? Yeah. Well, I got, so I got hit September 20th. Oh. Our gala is September 22nd in Dallas. We're good. We'll see you there. Right on. You're locked. You're all coming. <laughs> oh, dang. We'll come do your thing. You come do ours. Oh, nice. We'll crash your party. You crash mine. <laughs> hey, again, with a good time. That'd Don't be awesome. Uh, and until we see you... At the muster or the roll car call or at the immersion camp in Maine. If you want to cruise with us kind of hard, you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on that Facebook hockey. <laughs> Jake, listen to this one. Jake is at Jacob underscore Schick, which is spelled like S Chick. Always say, always say, shick like the razor, no relation. I got screwed on that deal. Oh yeah, you got left mm-hmm. out in the cold on that one. Yeah, the dude that started it's named Jacob Shick. I googled your name like a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I yeah, was I know. reading about Jacob Shick. Hmm. Yeah. One of these days, I'm gonna overtake him. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. Echo, you got anything else? No man, fuck my man. Thank you. So cool to meet you too, man. Bro. Right on. Feelings mutual, brother. Right on. Jake, any closing thoughts? 
Yeah, I forgot to say, by the way, and I will get scolded if I don't, that if you buy our merch, I need you to know that that's how we pay our overhead through our merchandise sales. And the merch Boom. is available at? 22kill.com. 22kill.com. And we're starting a wind therapy program through a partnership with J&P Cycles. Did you say what kind of therapy? Wind. What is that all about? The breeze between the knees, bro. Oh. Motorcycles. <laughs> Oh, okay, got it. Got so you it. took it. You were gonna take it to a weird place. No, I was taking it free fall. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No. I was taking it free fall. I always had a problem. You always used with, to say knees in the breeze. With jumping out of things that didn't need jumping out of. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> nah, I don't know, because yeah. you know gravity. <laughs> but, yep. No, I mean, listen. No, I don't. I would just leave people with this. Like, hey, listen. It. Just keep grinding. That's what it's all about. You know, you get. I've learned. Th- I've learned this in my. Well versed and experienced thirty six years of life. Three things: this life's absolutely worth living. What makes it beautiful is you get to share it with people that you love all the way. Your successes and your failures. And three: it's not about you. Live well. Check. Well, Jake, as I said before. Thank you for coming on the show, but more importantly, thanks for your service in the Marine Corps. Rah. Thanks for your sacrifice. Thanks for fighting so hard, and thanks for what you are doing now to help veterans continue to live the lives they deserve to live. And to everyone out there, whether you're a veteran or not, I said at the beginning of this series, that this was a story of war and love and pain and death. Life is hard. It is tragic and merciless. And when you are caught in that storm, you might not see anything else beyond the darkness. But there is light beyond the darkness but you have to hang on you have to hang on and you have to move forward and you have to fight you have to fight fight through all that pain and fear and darkness and get to the other side where the darkness subsides and where you can once again live thanks for listening thanks for living and thanks for getting out there and getting after it so until next time This is Jake Schick and Echo and Jocko out.